Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Tales of Tamriel. It's been an exciting few weeks for us with the release of the game. Already, I'm addicted, and there are several other members of the community. Uh, we've also had some fun interactions with, uh, with them this week um, over their various levels of addiction to the game. Uh, Cash of Mog Nation tweeted me a picture earlier this week. Uh, he found Jute and Dragonthorn while out hiking. And it actually really did look like Jute and Dragonthorn. Uh, that really cracked me up. Made me want to go out and pick it, to be honest. But that would make me have to leave my room. And we all know that sunlight hurts, especially if you're a vampire. Someone actually asked me if it was a mark of their addiction to be thinking about character builds while at work. I promptly replied that I spent at least an hour a day uh, on ESO head trying to tweak and perfect my Templar build. So yes, yes, it, it is a bad addiction. Finally, we actually had a guild member announce that it was official that he had become addicted because he decided he was going to take a nap because he'd been playing The Elder Scrolls Online all day and wanted a break only to have a dream about ESO. Well, at least we're all in the ESO loony bin together and we're proud of it. Anyway, time to introduce the cast for this evening. First off, I am your main host, Dejelos, he who picks all the Nern route. I will not be denied my Nern route. With me this or again this evening, we have my lovely wife, Thais, who will be starting her own show shortly called ESO Orders, in which she will be the star of the show, and the entire show will be her just going through her bank and bags and telling us why it is imperative that she keeps that bag of unknown meat. Anyway, uh, how are you doing this evening, Thais? I'm doing good. I really do need my own show, though. You know, it needs to be ESO Hoarders. That is just how bad I am. I will never use anything other than a staff, but I will be damn sure that I'm going to keep that axe that's level 5 for no apparent reason, because I might just need it someday. You never know. They clearly do not offer you enough bag space in this game. Okay. Well, that was just a joke about her show. Maybe. I don't know. She might actually go and create it. Um, but we do have a fun show in store for you today. We didn't have a ton of news this week, but what we did have was uh, pretty cool. Starting off, uh, this one's kind of not related to anything um, other than the game in general, but I thought it was kind of cool. Um, I found an article about a gaming couple who actually got engaged the the 
male, the male actually proposed to his now fiance by giving her an amulet of Mara. You know what? Props to him. I think that's kind of cool. What do you think, Thais? I think that's adorable. If you had proposed to me that way, that would have been, it would have been really cute. The way you did was, was definitely, you know, good. Thumbs up to you. But that, that is really cute and very creative for a guy to do something like that. Nice, nice save there. Starting to feel a little inadequate. I'm like, this guy just showed me up. If I would have had an amulet tomorrow, I probably would have tried that. But uh, yeah, I wish I could have found the article again. I saw it the earlier this week and I wrote it down in the show notes because I just wanted to mention I thought it was kind of cool. But uh, couldn't find it again, unfortunately. The amulet looked really, really, really sick, though. Um, all right, we'll move on to the next thing. The Elder Scrolls Online has been ranked the number two game in the United Kingdom. Um, followed only by, or it's followed only by, I don't know, was that FIFA 2014? It's a soccer game. Yeah. Apparently, well, it is. Soccer's pretty big in everywhere else except for the United States. I don't, soccer's kind of, in this area, soccer's kind of like, yeah, whatever. But everywhere else in the world, it's a huge thing. I know when I was in uh, New Zealand, it was all about the All Blacks. And I'm sitting there going, I don't watch sports, period. But it was a pretty big thing for soccer. And uh, so I can kind of see with the World Cup, I guess, I actually, again, I'm going to preface this, but I don't, don't think I am actually know what I'm talking about here. I I was tipped off by the news article uh, that the World Cup starts in two months, so people are trying to get their, their soccer fix before that starts. But uh, still, ranked number two in the United Kingdom. What do you think? That's uh, That's pretty good, considering that it's following a soccer game. I'd say way to go but to me the only good sport is hockey because there's always something going on in a hockey game you're never just sitting there bored you know so way to go hockey i like hockey the only sport that i will endorse is blitzball from final fantasy 10 um (laughs) you know what i i am okay with that i completely agree there are so many hours that i have wasted playing blitzball and final fantasy 10 the only sport that I would ever play if it existed. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to note that when this came out, that it was the only MMO, in fact, it was the only PC game um, to get on their list or to move on. I think Titanfall was on it as number three. I don't remember if Titanfall actually has a PC release. I kind of feel like it does, but I don't follow Titanfall. I'm not really into shooters. Uh, but I know it's kind of an Xbox One MMO. That was the only other MMO on their top ten list. Um, but I don't. Th- I think it was only top ten for Xbox One, so not even PC. So this was the only PC game on their top ten list. So that was really neat. All right, um, we're going to move on to the next section, which was patch notes. One point zero two were released. Um, we're going to go over the patch notes, and we'll talk about the different things that they fixed. Uh, First off in the overview, the Elder Scrolls Online version 1.02 features a number of fixes to existing content, mainly focusing on quests that were blocking progress. Thank goodness. Darn desperate souls. (laughs) Um, Fixes and improvements to the Alliance War. Uh, under a general category, it says fixed an issue where siege weapons and Cyrodiil could have odd behavior after a crash. I, I really don't know about this one because, to be honest, we haven't done any Cyrodiil 
uh, we went in and we kind of played with it a little bit, but um, kind of curious what they mean here. I, I would have not a clue. I haven't done anything in Cyrodiil yet. Not not a nothing. Although I did note that the map was gigantic, and I can imagine that using the siege weapons would be tons of fun. Well, I can attest to that because I've done it in beta, and I've also played the uh, Dark Age of Camelot, which was kind of like the spiritual predecessor of this game. I mean, almost everyone who worked on this game was from the Dark Age of Camelot crew, at least the high-up people. Um, and you can just feel it bleeding through in this game. Like, all their ideas are new, not new to any of Dark Age of Camelot fans, because if you were a DOAC player, everything that's in ESO, at least the PvP side, is straight up Dark Age of Camelot. Like, it just... It feels like a home to me, and that was like one of my favorite MMOs I've ever played. All right, uh, crafting and economy fixed an issue with a with the game could crash when selling items to a vendor. Hireling goodie bags are no longer tradable. Um, kind of neat because uh, I know I use. There's a little tip here though for anyone else. Hireling goodie bags, while they are no longer tradable, they become bound when you pick them up. Um, one thing you guys can do is if you have multiple alts, you can get them set up. You only need one point to get set up and have a hireling. And of course you get better stuff as you get more points in the hireling tree. Um, but as long as you don't open the attachment on that character, you can open it on a different character and get the higher level rewards. Like, so you can get multiple bags a day, which is kind of cool. Um... Yeah, but no longer tradable. I guess that's good because I, I have seen people try to trade off the resource bags back and forth and sell them. So now it's now you can't do that. Um, let's see here. Dungeon and group content. Edited the names of certain items found in dungeons. Sheogorath's tongue. The cave boss now responds at an appropriate rate. Uh, Elden Hollow. Chokethorn will now always aggro when he is engaged. And the veteran Darkshade Caverns boss, uh, the Engine Guardian's green phase now triggers properly. Um, with Dark Anchors, they fixed an issue where uh, the anchor could become stuck with lar when a large group engages it. Dark Anchors now properly reset back to their current state when no one is around. Um, I know we were having some issues with the Dark Anchors earlier in the week. Um, have you run across any that have not worked since this patch? Now, only when we first started the game, and it was just that one Dark Anchor. And anything else, it was just that one quest, too. Other than that, I haven't experienced any other bugs, really. Nothing. That's, that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to preface her comment by saying we've been leveling very slow, so we've really only experienced the one Dark Anchor before they fixed it. I can't say that our our experiences uh, encapsulate the entire ESO community because we were in Stone Falls for quite a while, almost a week, I think. Yes, but that's because we read every single quest. We listen to every single voice actor. We thoroughly explore every inch of the zone. We don't leave a zone until there is just absolutely nothing left for us to get there. We are, both of us are extreme 
completionists and it's one of the best ways to play in my opinion because you get to experience everything to its to the fullest extent i do agree and we actually read every book too so when we open the books bookshelves or bookcases if it's a book we haven't read before like i keep a mental checklist if i've read it if i haven't i will sit down and i will read the book because i love the lore in this game so don't worry, Zenimax, your work that normally no one else would read, at least you have two people who are sitting down and reading the books for what they are. <laughs> um, okay. Moving on, they had some miscellaneous fixes, fixed an issue where guild members would deposit, uh, with deposit-only permissions, could not deposit into the bank, and fixed an issue where we we're unable to mount your horse if you went into a new area while already mounted. That's kind of funky. I didn't see that. Okay. Under quests, they have quite a bit. Fix an issue that occurred within a number of areas when you could knock other players or monsters out of the world. That's interesting. <laughs> I've never knocked anything out of the world. I've fallen through the world. But that was me, not an enemy. That's kind of an odd bug. Wow. At least she thinks it was just her and that I didn't push her. <laughs> um, all right. So some kind of interesting notes. Ordon, I think. Let's see here. Ordon, Glen Umbra. Yeah, Ordon and Glen Umbra had the largest amount of errors. Um, I, you know, I'm really kind of interested from our, our listeners here because this one just kind of intrigues me. Frog racing has been outlawed and the quest is currently disabled. Uh, race organ organizers vow to petition the queen for its return. What in creation quest was this? Like, if anyone knows, I'm curious because we are not playing Aldmeri Dominion. So, I'm really curious what this frog racing quest was and why it was broken. And yes, there are motorcycles going by our house if that's what you can hear. And I hear an Amish buggy kind of weird anyway all right uh i'm trying to look through these i'm not going to read all the individual quest notes um other than the fact that they're showing that a couple of them are fixed either blocked like in the name of the queen um should no longer get stuck one of the characters and block quest progression uh desperate souls for us was a big one in stone falls yeah they just removed a whole lot of quests that were blocking progression it's kind of weird it looks like they disabled a couple quests which i'm kind of sad about gladly um none of them were in evanheart pack so that pretty much says that evanheart pact are the best and thank you wife <laughs> um okay general in ui added the english textual warning when deleting character reminding you that there, there's still items attached to characters on the leash and they will be deleted. Uh, I guess this was kind of a big thing at the beginning, people deleting. Like, I know we didn't delete our characters, and actually, before this ever came out, we tested this. Um, when we made our characters, we made our characters that had our names and just rapidly did it so we wouldn't lose them. And we got our Rings of Mara and our... Um, I, I, I'm trying to remember what pet it was. Do you remember? It was the Imogen, the monkey. I think it was Im Imogen, I think. Right, the monkey pet. Um, yeah, we 
went and did that and then we went and tried to create and we noticed that we didn't have it so before anyone else went and deleted their tunes we didn't even we tested it first so before they even made the announcement about the it only being tied to one we already went and looked at that so kind of interesting but it's kind of nice they added in there but at this point in time i think everyone who's already had the imperial edition and their starting stuff already has it so unless they accidentally deleted it in which case then uh that that kind of sucks because now you're missing your rings of mara which i happen to thoroughly enjoy my ring of mara whenever i hover over it it says made by jealous and i just i adore that yes every game that has any kind of marriage in it we she well she uh she locks me down in every game everyone isn't that my job as a wife to lock you down so you can have no fun with anybody else just me this is true this is true she also got angry at me this morning because she was asking me i forget what we were doing we were messing around in the bank and i'm like man i'm almost out of money i only have 14 and she's like what did you do with all your money you only have 14 gold like no 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 i have like 14k you know, one, four, zero, zero, zero. She gave me the biggest eye daggers ever. And I was, I was a little confused at this. I'm like, what does it matter if I have? She's like, I hate playing games. You have all the money. I'm like, yeah, but you're my wife. You take most of it anyway. <laughs> that is actually true. There are plenty of times where I've taken his money and he can't really fight back. He just He's just kind of like, okay, whatever. And he gives me his money, and then I smile. <laughs> and then I just go buy whatever I need to buy. And I cry. <laughs> yes. Um, see, it was nice at the beginning of our marriage. She actually tried to seduce me, more or less, to get money. Now she just tells me to give it to her. Before, I actually, you know, as a guy, yeah, got a little lucky with my wife. She's like, hey, uh... If you give me some money and give me a little wink, I'm like, oh, all right, take my money through the through the in-game gold adder. Now it's just like, just give me your money. Well, do I get a kiss? No, just give me your money. <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. All right, moving on. Sorry for the rabbit trail. Slow chat lag issues this week. Um, annoying? Uh, I wouldn't say it's the end of the world. What do you think? I wouldn't say the end of the world, but I would definitely say it needs to be fixed. I personally tested that how long it took. So I typed in whatever time it was, and then I, you know I pressed enter, and when it popped back up again in chat, like the time, it had actually been ten minutes later. So the chat lag was was pretty bad, and it was in. All the guild chats, it wasn't in party chat. We were fine in party chat. And it, it was in guild chat and it was in area chat. And it was it was horrible. If that happened again, I, I could really, really see it being a gigantic issue. Well, they had some unscheduled maintenance earlier this week where the servers went down. I actually got a Twitter notification from uh, TSO Online. Um their official Twitter account that they were taking the North American servers down for maintenance um, and unscheduled maintenance. It was down last night, I think. I don't know what time it went down at. But they brought it back up, and that seems to fix the lag issues because I didn't have any when I went into it today. I didn't notice any either, and I'm, I'm hoping the issue is completely gone 
Because when you when you're in game and and you're struggling to talk to your guildmates or area chat, it's it's actually rather daunting not being able to for your your chat log to not show up. It's really awkward because everyone's lagging, people are saying things, you're trying to respond, and your message is going through five minutes later, and the conversation's already over, and if you need help, that, you know, you can't get any because no one can read the chat. So I'm, I'm really hoping that issue is just over and done with. Well, to be honest, in the grand scheme of things, I think that is a kind of... I would much rather have a delayed chat message than anything. It was kind of weird. Because I mentioned this to some members in our uh, in our Tales of Tamriel guild. I'm like, my goodness. The only place I ever experienced lag in this game is in chat. Like, I don't experience it anywhere else. Gameplay is fine, but oh my goodness, does chat lag. But for the amount of people who were like, I just want to play solo. What do they care? <laughs> it's not like they're chatting with anyone anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do believe the chat issues have been fixed. That was kind of weird. I'm curious to see how their network infrastructure is, how they're separating out. I'm sure the chat servers are on their own server, so I guess that would have been having issues. Um, that's the only way I could explain the entire server not being slow. But uh, I, as a uh, system administrator, I've, I'm just kind of curious myself how they have everything set up. Probably would bore the rest of our audience, but I would be fascinated by it. Okay, moving on, and this is a kind of a fun, a fun little news article. Uh, Harry Partridge, if you haven't heard of him, has released an ESO video back to Tamriel. They uh, tweeted it out earlier, and I actually went through and listened to. I think he has five different videos about Skyrim Forward, and they are hilarious. Uh, print or parental advisory, please do not watch these videos around children or anything of that. They are a little risque, um, but uh, they are quite hilarious if you are an adult and do not mind a little bit of crude humor. Um, yeah, what did you think about it? <laughs> I loved it. After we watched all the videos, we sat there and we watched them all again and then again and then again. And we're sitting here and, you know, in the room together and we're like singing the songs on the videos. And we had a grand old time just listening to his videos. And I thought he he did a good job, even though they're, they're a little vulgar. It's still humorous. It was still fun, you know, humorous vulgarity. It was it was OK. But yes, not around children. You know, if you're an adult, you can enjoy it. Otherwise, not not quite yet. His he did a good job though with with the drawing and the singing. I liked it a lot. Yes, um, <laughs> I like the Skyrim one he did when they were talking about the Skyrim trailer. Because even Thais like that's totally you. In the video, he's like, "Yeah, did you see? There's a uh, they released a trailer for uh, the new Elder Scrolls. A new Elder Scrolls game. They're doing another one. Oh, you got me excited." And the other character in the video is like, dude, you get way too excited about trailers. And it is hilarious because he's just over there singing the song. Um, and by the end of it, he's like all passed out. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of gross. Not not too gross. It's funny. But uh, Face is like, yeah, that's, that's totally you. At the end of the video, I just I picture that being just ag because that, that it's just it is it's just it's totally ag. And if you watch this video, 
and you're a guy, it's probably you as well, because that's it's just it's a great video. The drooling face, the look of ecstasy, you're just sitting there from a game trailer like, yeah, yeah, that's us. And of course, the ending of uh, Back to Tamriel is hilarious, but I'm going to settle down with an elf chicken at the very end. He goes, so you're a, you're a girl in real life, right? The elf looks, yeah. <laughs> it cracked me up. I do encourage everyone to go listen to... And watch those videos because they are quite funny and you will get a kick out of them. All right. We are going to move into our Elder Scrolls discussion topic for the week. And uh, we're going to discuss a guild member, uh, Magustus. He uh, told us that we could go over an episode. Didn't have to go over a whole episode, just most of it. So we're going to talk about how awesome he is. The thing is, how awesome is Magustus? I would say on a scale of one to ten, he ranges about a ten point five. That is that is how awesome he is. You know, he just breaks the scale over his awesomeness. Although I do have to admit that he asks a lot of silly questions in guild chat, and it just makes me laugh on the inside. <laughs> All right, that was a joke, and that was kind of a little uh, shout out for one of our guild members. We were joking about it in guild chat today, saying you should just talk about me because we were having an issue about what we wanted to talk about for our Elder Scrolls discussion. So that was our joke. Anyway, we are actually going to be discussing the Craglorn video that was released earlier this week. Um, I'm sure most of you have already gotten a chance to see it, but uh, face. Right off the bat, we're going to go, we're going to talk about the video, what we thought of the video in terms of, that's what I'm going to ask you right now, and then we're going to go back and forth, and judging from the video, what we think Craglorn is going to hold for us, because both of us are raiders and what we're hoping for. So, right off the bat, why don't you, why don't you tell me what you thought of the video when you saw it? The video was fantastic. The way it was explained, the way it was shown, the zone itself looks gorgeous. I can't wait to just explore the zone as I would explore any other zone. And while you're in the zone, there's all different kinds of things that can happen while you're there, which which is exciting. And, and I, I want to delve right into that, which, you know, considering how slow we level, it will probably take a while. But right now, I feel like it holds a lot of possibilities. And I'm I'm hoping that It'll give us the kind of raid experience that we long for for endgame PvE. Because if, if not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried that people will be disappointed that it just doesn't have enough. But the video looks like it could fulfill everything we want. Well, I'll, I'll go into that later, but I just thought the video was awesome. Uh, when I'm talking about video, I, I like the way they they did it. They did it like almost like a movie trailer you saw at the end how like you're, you're showing the fighting of the boss and he's holding his sword up in the air and the whole thing explodes it was a very again there we go you get too excited over a trailer i really did guys when i saw the the trailer i squeed like a little girl and uh all the people in my office looked at me like i was crazy but i don't care i was like you know what i just saw a video on craglorn all right step off it was awesome he he raced home after work that day 
and jumped on his computer so fast and like pulled me, almost ripped my arm off to his PC so I could watch this video and like grabbed the back of my head and shoved it against the TV and goes, are you watching? And that's just, it's pretty much exactly what happened. You know, like, babe, I can't see with my face smushed up against the screen like this. You know, then he let me go and I was able to watch the video, you know, leisurely. But I agree, it, 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 it was almost as if it was a movie trailer with, uh, you know, with the guy announcing it and it, it looks fun, it looks good. The trailer made it look amazing, it really did. You know what the really sad part about that entire story was? She was only exaggerating only a little bit. <laughs> Just the slightest bit, because almost all of that was true. That, that was the sad part. Um... Okay, so yeah, other than the video, which I... Right off the bat, you know, whenever Warcraft does a new trailer, their trailers are pretty... I guess... Story-driven. They're like the movie trailers. They kind of set a, a good standard for a patch trailer. They really did. Their patch trailers always get you hyped up to play the game. Um, I'm not saying it's the same style as the Warcraft, because it wasn't. Um... They didn't really show any story. They, sh they showed some gameplay and stuff like that. And it wasn't really... Uh, you didn't see a lot of voiceover and stuff like that. I think they like to save that for the game. But the actual the actual mood of the trailer got you hyped up to play the, play the game. And that's what you got to go for. Um, I've seen other games release trailers where it's like, eh, okay, that's, that's kind of neat. You know, but they, they really did a good job hyping the game up. Um, so... The Craglorn Adventure Zone is apparently a setting right between High Rock and, uh, um, oh crud, Cyrodiil, I think it is. Man, I really should have double-checked my facts on that, but it's going to be a zone that's connecting between these different areas, and apparently the story is going to revolve around the Celestials disappearing from the sky, um... Now, these celestial beings, the warrior, the mage, the thief, and the serpent are all pretty big motifs in the Elder Scrolls um, in the Elder Scrolls universe. I'm sure most everyone here remembers the warrior, the mage, and the thief from Skyrim. They were the first three Mundus stones you actually came across. Um, it looks like it also pulls very heavily on Yakudin lore. Uh, aka Red Guards before they came over to Tamriel. Um, based on that, like, did, did you like the way that the zone was laid out from what we've seen? I did. I really did. Well, again, it just, all of it looked amazing. Like, I just, you know, I don't even know what to say. It, it, it looked great. It really did. It just looked great. And when you're walking through and you can just, you know, happen upon a dungeon or you can happen upon a boss or although the one thing I'm concerned about is in the video it mentioned the quests that there will be quests that are for groups of people now does that mean that if you're in a party like if you and I were in a party and I click on, click on the person does that mean that the quest is automatically registered to you as well is it is it only completable if you're with multiple people or if by chance I wanted to do it by myself could I are you stopped from doing it by yourself if you don't have any friends which thank god we have each other because <laughs> we don't have any other friends so that's the only thing I'm worried about is the the so the supposed questing in this zone 
other than that, everything else looks good. Well, right off the bat, the zone is designed for a group of four people. Like, you need four people to adventure in it. Because almost, I would imagine this is going to be similar to, before Warcraft nerfed it, the elite areas. Like, uh, in, in Burning Crusade, some of the areas, everything was at least an elite or a, a boss monster. You needed a full group. You will need a full party, probably three DPS and a healer, or at least tank two DPS healers. Something... Something with a healer in order to survive this, because these these uh, mobs are supposedly not going to allow you to go in. Like I don't even know if you can even enter the zone with less than four people. Maybe you can, because they did mention there's that one city hub where they said it would be a good place for you to go and uh, form your groups. But I do have a feeling that um, until you get to a certain veteran rank or gear level, I think you're going to need that four-person group in order to even advance now an interesting thing is currently in the game we can get up to veteran rank 10 so after you hit 50 you can you still get more there's more levels to be had um called veteran ranks and this is actually very similar to a dark age of camelot mechanic called master levels because they had master levels i'm curious how the experience works because i think you can get veteran rank from either the plus 50 plus 50 plus plus i don't think you can do it from just grinding in your normal level 50 zone i think it actually has to be marked as one of these veteran areas to get experience i could be wrong i haven't hit 50 yet um but there's that uh this is going to extend the game past veteran rank 10 so currently veteran rank 10 is the highest you can get the monsters and the fights in here will allow you to go past veteran rank 10. So does that mean we can only get into it at veteran rank 10? Maybe a little lower. I'm not sure on that. Um, as for the questing, I'm sure it's similar to uh, dungeon questing where when you log in, if someone clicks on it, it says, do you want to join run it now or not? Um, and I guess I'm guessing it would be a lot like uh, Warcraft's group quest when they did those like you could accept them but it has like in parentheses group meaning that you probably can't solo it that's what I would guess um, okay, well, then, well then I'd be okay with that if that's how it was but it might be difficult for you and I because we sit and listen to every voice actor and we, we, we read all the quests so we have to be with people who are lenient and are willing to wait a few moments for us to finish reading everything so we know exactly what's happening in the storyline. Because so far there have been a lot of people who have mentioned or said in game, yeah, I don't read any quests. Like, well, what are you talking about? Even my one friend in the guild has said he's never read any quests in the game. But well, then why? One of the biggest things about Elder Scrolls is the story. And being engrossed in the story and, and being attached to these characters that you find, the NPCs, how can you not read the quests? So yes, we would need a lenient party to go with us so that we can engross ourselves in the storyline. I, I know that's something we're going to talk about in the Tales section, but yeah, we, we've been running with guild groups for the first time we do the dungeon because we did one pug earlier this week and we got yelled at for listening to the voice actors <laughs> um so yeah uh anyone in the tales of tamriel guild when this comes out someone's gonna be carrying Thais and i through it and you're gonna have to sit and wait while we listen to the story 
Love you guys forever. Awesome. Um, all right, next up. With the four-person groups and the repeatable quest, that's what they're talking about. Um, they said a lot of the quests you'll be able to repeat, which would be kind of neat for a way of increasing money, like a generic money increase, because we all know, I'm going to say it right now, I like the economy of ESO currently because there's not an excess of gold. Gold feels valuable and dying feels painful. Doing a repair, I, I'm almost to the point where it's like, it's almost cheaper for me to make and, and enchant a new piece of gear than it is to repair it. Um, but yeah, I, I do make that mental uh, comparison. I'm like, should I just make a new piece of gear? I mean, I have all the materials. It's probably cheaper than the amount of money they want to repair this. Um, but gold does feel like it's it's hard to get in the game. And with no global auction house, which at first I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or not. But I am actually really liking the way it's done. Because I feel like I can make money. Um, because you're dealing with localized markets. It's not a global auction house like on the uh, Guild Wars 2 where everything sold for one gold above vendor price because there was so much of it now i've i've sold quite a bit of stuff like um i've sold sold uh motifs for thousands of gold i think i sold a wood elf motif for five thousand gold already um props to the guy who gave that to me by the way um very cool guy and also the guy who i was originally going to sell it to um he i was going to give it to him he's like i'll trade you for this and he's, I had two of them. He's like, I don't care which one I get, just whatever one. And he's like, I'll take the Wood Elf. And I said, okay. And another guy's like, I'll buy it for 5000 And I'm like, oh. But I already promised this other guy. So I told the guy, I said to him, listen, I already promised you this Wood Elf motif. I have another guy who wants to offer me 5 k for it. I already promised it to you. It's yours if you want it. I just wanted to know if you wanted the other one instead. And he's like, oh, no, I don't care. Give me the other one. So thank you to that guy who allowed me to make 5K very quickly from someone who really wanted that Wood Elf motif. At the same time, though, it's what's neat about the economy is it fluctuates is I made 5K off of that Wood Elf. I went to sell another one later on in the week, and I think I was asking 1.5 for it, and people were spamming in chat after I did selling it for less, like 800 because people were trying to get rid of it. So it, it, it's kind of neat. Like you can, if you hold on to things or wait till the market's favorable, you can sell your wares at a, a, a decent profit or like anyone who would have bought one of these motifs earlier, you can make a deal. So I like the idea of repeatable quest as a way of getting a gold fountain into the game things that are difficult that people will want to group up and do that has a type of length to the game. I won't say an artificial length thing. It, it is, but if you want to do it and keeps you held into the game for longer, I like that idea. What about what about you? What do you think about these so-called repeatable quests in Craglorn? I very much like the idea of them because it makes it so that the content won't exactly become stale. You're not just running in and zerging the zone, like just ganking everything. You're not, you're not going to be just bored running in a circle, killing everything and then leaving. Being able to do the repeatable quests means that, like you said, you have 
that little chunk of gold that you always get for completing the quests, and if it's multiple, even if it's small amounts, if it's multiple repeatable quests, you still have an objective to complete when you're in this zone. So you can't just run in circles. And I, I'm the kind of person who will do quests over and over and over again if it means I'm getting some amounts of money. Because unlike my wonderful husband here, I have a hard time making any money in any game because I don't ever want to sell anything. I want to hold on to everything and hoard it and hoard it and just dig up holes and hide them in holes. I just, it's all I want to do. This uh, coming fall on Fox ESO Hoarders, starring face. So the idea of having a little bit of a cash flow due to repeatable quests is just phenomenal to me. It means that it, it means that I might not be dirt poor throughout the entire game. Now here's an interesting one for you. The some people like I didn't mind uh, daily quest in Warcraft, in Rift, and some of the other games. Some people absolutely hate them. Like absolutely hate repeatable quest um i like the idea of like you said earning the money it's nice what kind of daily quests are you thinking that we're going to be doing like what what would not be stale for you i'm just kind of curious for you as a player what what would be a fun type of daily quests that you could do in this zone that would be kind of neat it takes a lot to make me bored it really does. I'm the kind of person where I enjoy quests that tell me to go pick out five eyeballs from this lizard or go skin this this aylet, you know, you know, ten times and bring me back its pelts. I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with them saying, I need you to go pick ten flowers to make me a potion. It could be any type of repeatable quest as long as it means that you're not just running around in this zone, zerging everything. And if it's if it's something that you have to complete as a quest, even if the quest is telling you to go kill this boss, and then that boss, and then that boss, you still have an objective as a group for a quest. Then you can go back and turn it in, pick up another one that might be different. It, it, it doesn't matter what it really says, because... Because after the first time you do it, we're probably not going to read the quest text again. But as long as they give us something else to do in this zone, to, to talk to somebody, to interact with the numerous wonderful NPCs, because all their NPCs are amazing, doesn't matter what it is, as long as they have it as an option. I think what really bores a lot of people is... The repetity, or, re, you know, repeating repetition. Thank you. Sorry, I'm not an English major. As you can tell from my terrible, terrible, terrible grammar. Um, is the repetition of daily quests. I like kind of... I think it would be kind of neat if their daily quest was a type of... Um, Guild Wars 2 had these with the different guild missions you could do. Um, but I think it would be neat if you were limited the amount of quests you could do each day. Okay, so say that you can do, um, I think Final Fantasy XIV does this, they give you six. But let's say, for instance, there's six kinds of quests, and there's six, but you can only do three. Or you could do three of the same. You can only do three, and you can pick. 
but it'd be kind of neat if the quests were interesting, like uh, maybe a bounty hunt, like having to go out and find a monster. I don't want it to. I, I would like it to be a a padding monster, a padding monster for those who don't know, those who have a set path that they they walk on. So there, it's not like just going to a, a, a spawn camp and killing ten of them, like a lot of the quests are. Where it's like, oh, go up the hill and attack the X monsters up there and and tell us when you're done. Make it so there's an elusive, uh, I don't know, a, a poacher wanted by the pe the guard here in the city. He was last seen over here but from 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 reports he's been known to venture as far down as here and you and your group would have to go out and try to find him i think that would be a neat thing as well as maybe repeatables to go out and clear because there's lots of group dungeons maybe to go like the boss kills um they, they've resummoned a monster within this keep go and slay it and it's a public dungeon that you and your group have to go do but they should have a couple different types of quests um they should have why not they should have the ones where hey we need we're running low on uh on netch hide go out and kill us 20 netches and bring some hide back and then you can go out and find the netches and do that or whatever as long as they have a lot of different choices that you can mix and match or do all the same if you really want um I think that'd be kind of neat, but I do like the idea. I think they should make it that everything you do should be exploring, not not a set location. I don't want to go out to see like on ESO Head or Dolphy or anything like that, any of those sites, and find a, a guide to these quests. Because I think they should be I don't there's not gonna be a way to make them completely random, but I think it would be kinda neat that it'd be like, okay, you've picked up a quest to kill poacher a well poacher a has 25 known spawn locations and he could be at any random one good luck you know i like that and doing that would be kind of neat you know i mean you if someone spots one you'd hear people in zone going hey i found so and so we should all group up and take him down um for the quest get people together and do that um, I think that'd be kind of neat. That's what I'm kind of hoping for for these daily-ish quests that are non-story related. I really like that idea. That idea because it would it would also bring people together in the zone, almost like a community, like to do this together, which would be really enjoyable to have to group up with multiple people that are already in the zone to find this particular person. That is a great idea. That wow, nice. I, I can't take credit for it. Guild Wars 2 did it with its bounty missions. <laughs> they gave you like 20 minutes to find the guy so you would split your guild up into a bunch of different groups because they're like, he's somewhere in this zone. And you would are in one of these multiple zones so you'd send your people out to try to find it and you'd all group up to kill him. So Guild Wars 2 gets credit for that. But I think that would be a fun way of keeping the quests varied and people would want to stay and do them. Uh, next up was the delves and the, you know, like the mini bosses, how they're instanced to your zone. So pretty much at the end of every, um, at the end of every public dungeon or at the end of these enclosed areas, normally where there's a mini boss and a or a skill shard, um, they are now instanced in Craglorn. I don't know, like I know, Thaise, you and I have been through our fair share of public dungeons in the leveling experience so far. And it pretty much, a lot, of, so 
it's been very easy so far. The monsters aren't really difficult. There's not a lot of them. Um, but whenever you get to the boss room, you normally you see a bunch of people sitting there wait for it to spawn because the boss might be difficult. I really don't know because there's normally 50 people standing around trying to kill them because they often drop some fairly good loot. Um, sometimes you might get, for us, we're only level 25 at the moment, but you might get like a blue item or a sword or a unique a unique item, but most of the time you get lots of trash stuff to break down. You got the soul gems, which are expensive. So it, it it's profitable to sit there and farm them for a little bit. I mean, we do it too. But <clears throat> in Craglorn, all this is going to be instant. So when you get to that, on top of that platform, like the one we were doing this morning, where that, uh, that one monster was, all 50 people would disappear. Only our four people would be in there. So it'd be a mini boss encounter. From what I hear... It's pretty difficult. What do you think about that? I really hope it's difficult. The only public dungeon we did that was actually difficult was the first one we did. When, if we had more than two people, that's it, we were dead. Until Joe Schmo, the third guy behind us, happened to run up to where we were, then we could kill it together. Other than that, they've all been, they've all been pretty easy. So I'm hoping the difficulty level comes with Craglorn in that the bosses are are actually difficult. Your your four man party is is struggling. Like the one dungeon we did with the Centaurian when I said to you, this is not gonna be easy. And it wasn't. That Centaurian whooped our butts the first time, but then after that I equipped my healing staff and we we strategized a little bit and then it, it went better. We were we were able to kill him. Not before the one guy died a few more times, but we were able to get him down. So I'm hoping there is that level of difficulty where there's a chance we die. And if we die, we have to respawn and try again. I'm, I'm hoping, I really am hoping that it has that. I, I want it to be difficult. Well, um, again, I'll preface this by saying we're still only in the 1 to 50 leveling experience. I've heard, and again, I've heard, I haven't done firsthand, but it gets significantly harder when you're in the 50 plus 50 plus plus um, content. Like it's difficult is what I've been hearing. So yay. And I agree with you. I really hope it is this, the first leveling experience. It really is. The leveling experience feels like you could go all the way through all this almost solo. Um, There's no way I'd be able to do it solo as, as a sorcerer. If I did not have you with me, I know that I'd be dying constantly because I am just super squishy. Just, you know, I toss my fireballs, but if someone even looks in my direction, just, you know, I, I keel over and I'm dead. Don't let her fool you. Sorcerers are OP. <laughs> she, she just walks in the entire dungeon. That's why it's so easy for us. When she walks into one of these public dungeons, it's like instant cast death. Everything dies in the dungeon. So we're walking by and seeing all these corpses. It's like, oh, wow, this is... This is so easy. Here, it's, she's just so OP when she goes into the dungeon, everything dies. That's all it is. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like that idea because I like things to be difficult. And, like, while when I was playing uh, Dark Age of Camelot, groups were eight person. But it norm when you were doing these public dungeons, you would see large groups of people running through the dungeon doing things. And it took more than one or two people. You didn't do one or two people. But then again, group sizes were eight people, so one or two people 
really wasn't a group. Four people was kind of our duo group or equivalent. Um, and you could get a little further. But uh, you still had to work with people. But I like the idea that even if you have this huge, um, for instance, like the uh, Elder Scrolls off the record crew when they did their their one event for the launch where they had everyone in the one public dungeon, that would have just been a zerg. You couldn't die except for Liz, who apparently got left behind and got killed. Um, you can't zerg it. Like, you could zerg through all the monsters getting up to the boss, but it's like you could have 100 people, and all of a sudden you walk into the room like an invisible barrier. You turn around, where'd everyone go? <laughs> Why is it just us? This isn't right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, kind of neat. Albeit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I think this is something they're going to have to change. They're going to have to allow us to manipulate groups. Because you know you can make bigger groups, but there's no grouping currently. It's all alphabetical order. If you're in a big party in Craglorn, say 20 people, or 12 people if you're getting ready to go up to do a um, a trial, how are we going to separate it so you can put healers in the same group? Because what happens if we're like, oh, hey, let's run over there and get that skills, you know, that that's, uh, Sky Shard. And you run over there and your group splits and all the A's are together and here all the A's are, you know, tanks. Yeah. <laughs> all these tanks are sitting there like, well, who's going to heal what? No. Nope. You? No. Nope. All right. You know, uh, I think they will definitely need to get some sort of group management a little bit better for Craglorn if that's what they're hoping for. Um, okay. So I think we kind of beat the four man to death. Moving on to the trials and these are the things that i'm really ex yeah uh-huh i'm really excited about um i'm super excited about the trials i all i can picture which in the video they were these you know from what we saw they were like these gigantic you know monsters and like these you know this large group of people just attacking this one guy and to me that's just oh that's so exciting because i like dungeons i like the four-man groups you know that's, that's a lot of fun but in wow and while I I always did ten man raids, which to me was good, I liked that amount of people. But the few times I did do twenty five man raids, it was a whole other experience being with that many people trying to tackle the same objective. And it's not just a zerg; like you pick these people to be with, and you have to strategize, and you have to move. And even the video said that there will be different things you have to do to to, to defeat these bosses and i'm really curious to see what they have planned out for us when it comes to these large trial encounters i can't wait and you hit on a good point we're going to talk about that in a few seconds but i'm going to agree with you on this um a lot of it like even with the 12 man it looks like they have different kinds of trials such as the survive phase kind of stuff because at one phase it looked like they had a group of people running in like your characters all 12 of them and there was an army of men running at you so that's one of those survival things where you have a, a l larger force coming against you and you have to defeat as well as the bosses themselves do you feel like the trials are going to are, th are they going to be almost like a mini dungeon if you will um, I'm not going to say like a raid from Warcraft or Rift or, or Ever. Well, I haven't really done a lot of EverQuest or EverQuest 2. Those were a little different. Um, I think they're probably going to be closer to raids from Ultima 
with the spawns where you had to fight the monsters, get to the spawn location. And um, But do you feel like they're going to be like maybe Final Fantasy's trials where when you sign up for a trial, you get into an area, you get to strategize a little bit, and then you just fight the boss? Or do you feel like it's going to be kind of like maybe Guild Wars 2's Fractals of the Mist where you had to kind of go through a... Not a full-length dungeon to get to it, but there were trash mobs, little other encounters to get through it, and then you fought the boss. What do you think? I actually, you know, I'm going to say this, but not many people, maybe not everyone will know what I mean. I actually feel like it'll be more along the lines of the Crystal Tower in Final Fantasy, where you had the little encounters that led to the big encounter, and then... You had another little encounter that led to another big encounter, but not a full-out dungeon. That's what I picture. I picture it not necessarily being a dungeon, but I don't picture it being just a spawn at the boss, strategizing and then tackling it. I feel like it'll be a little bit more than that. So what I picture is actually the Crystal Tower type, type layout. I would go with that because they actually showed one of the rewards, of course, of this is getting on the leaderboards, okay? And, of course, they showed the leaderboards. They showed, like, your time against the top the top numbers. Um, did you take note of that, the numbers? They were significant. Like, in Final Fantasy, when me and you do, like, the primal trials, what we're called trials in there, it's the one boss. How, how long do you think that took? took us just guess oh, i don't know like i would think one of them like uh titan hard mode would probably take us about i don't know i would say seven minutes maybe to complete because it's a long fight right um that was what i was kind of thinking but on the trials the times like the best time was like i think it was uh 78 minutes 78 minutes was the best time. If I can remember on the trial, I wish I would have looked it up. And it showed the one guy, he, he did it in like 93. So these these times are kind of interesting. Because 93 minutes or even 70-something, like you said, if it was an individual trial, just like the boss fight, once you know and get it down, like you said, Titan Hard Mode, and even Warcraft, most bosses were within a 7 to 10 minute timer because after that they had what was called an enrage timer where like, nope, nope, you don't have enough gear to do this. Um, but even so, a single boss shouldn't take you 70 minutes. So I have a feeling that these trials are probably like what you said, one of these longer dungeons. I can't see one boss taking 70 some minutes because I can't also see that um, from what they said, if you fail the trial and retry, I, I can't see that being a uh, part of your time. Unless it was a multi-phase fight. Like, if it was, like, uh, on one platform, almost as if it was a single encounter, but it had multiple different phases to it, then I could see it being along those lines, but, but that would be really difficult to hold people's interest. That, like, extremely difficult. People need more variety than that. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably not like that. I was going to say, like, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I'm not very old, but I've raided with some older raiders. I think people need pee breaks in 77. Like, even when we raided in Warcraft and, and, and Rift and stuff like that, we would raid for a couple hours but after an hour or so we'd always give everyone like five minutes to go to the bathroom maybe get a drink um 
70 some minutes for one encounter even warcraft i think their longest encounter only took 19 minutes and i can't i can't remember what it, i think it was one of the earlier vanilla ones that took like 19 and that was the longest one they've ever since then went down i don't know about you but 20 minutes even 20 minutes of constantly doing your rotations or doing the fight i would start getting finger cramps or something like ah you know especially if you're going for a, a very quick time and yes a khajiit has finally decided to make her perch on my lap ain't that right baby you know yes um so yeah i thought that was kind of neat with the timers being that high now if you're doing this against other people you're gonna have to really learn to control your bladder, because I doubt they're gonna let you break in the middle of that, you know, to, to take a bio break. So you're you're really you're not gonna wanna drink anything, you're not gonna wanna eat like tacos beforehand, no Taco Bell, because you know what happens when you eat that, guys, alright? So you're really gonna have to be prepared to sit there for 80 minutes of nothing but sitting there. Because if you I have to bio break, no! No, you're not allowed. Sit there and keep doing your rotation. Blow this guy's head off. Come on, guys. It really will be like one of those pictures I uh, tweeted out before the launch. The gaming setup that was literally like the guy sitting on a toilet. And, you know, if there was like a little lever to dispense food and drinks. Yeah, that's what you would pretty much need if you were a competitive raider in this for times. But yeah, like the, the times were up there. Like, they really were. Um, much it leads me to believe that these trials are more than just the zone, like, oh, not zoning in, but walking into an instance of 12 people and there's the boss where you sit there and go, okay, this is what we're going to do. I really think they're going to be longer. All right, so now speaking of the bosses and how, the way they look, which, by the way, the bosses we saw were pretty amazing. And All right, before we even get into what we're hoping for, the gear. The gear. The gear. What What do you think of gear? Well, as I stated, I think it was the last podcast, I'm disappointed with the models. You know, I've said that before. But they had a preview of the gear that comes out of Craglorn. And I have to say, it's pretty sexy. <laughs> I am really hoping to have that on my on my character because the detail of this gear it just it looks really really nice much better than a lot of what I've been seeing except for what my character's wearing right now isn't bad but what what looks like can drop from a craglorn is just is really nice and I, I want all of it I'm just gonna keep all of it and hoard it in my little my little hole in the ground. On the next episode of ESO Hoarders, Thais tries to find more spots to hold gear that she can't wear. Alright, so, mechanic-wise, they even said that we're going to start seeing some mechanics not seen anywhere else in-game. Um, I, I want to point out, the two that I remember seeing, specifically, was the Lady in the White Mask and the Stone Statue. Do you remember those two fights? Um, essentially the lady in the white mask was kind of like in an arena style fight and the stone statue was in a long hallway with multiple other statues and for like the stone statue when you're fighting it 
it would be powering up its sword to do this really powerful attack. I'm kind of curious how, like, are, are they going to make us interrupt? Like, I've been practicing interrupting while we've been leveling. Like, it, it doesn't seem as imperative that I interrupt when we're leveling, but it actually does help a lot when you when you bash someone and block them. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see if interrupting will be a big part of this what kind of raid mechanics do you think we're going to experience? Um, let, let's start with the Lady in White. One of the things that looked like she was doing was she was ran to the center of the arena and started casting a very large spell that started targeting everybody and started throwing these, like, uh, it looked like fireworks up in the air that then came down and crashed on the enemies. What do you, what do you think? What do you think that she would have? Or what can you imagine kind of... Well, I imagine that you're going to have to learn how to start blocking and blocking and then moving to dodge, blocking and then moving to dodge or hiding behind something or attacking an enemy and using their corpse to shield you, you know, things like that. Because I a lot I that would be something I haven't seen before. That's definitely not anywhere else in the game. And considering you can run up to most enemies and just kind of nuke their face off, except in some dungeons, that Centaurian, I will never forget that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you bring up a good point with that Centaurian. I think that was the first time while doing a dungeon it was more than a tank and spank. Because while we kind of ignored a lot of the mechanics, he would like run to the center of the room and he would start launching these things up in the air that started falling on the ground and you had to dodge the red circles because they were they wherever you were standing it would target you and then you'd have a few seconds so you were trailing behind this this thing of of light um and after that of course he did this attack where he started spinning his arms and he found one person and would charge them um and would not let go. And you couldn't really melee him. Because if you did you got whacked. Uh, he also summoned these little repair spiders. I guess they were repair spiders. That I don't know if he ran through it. Did you notice if he was getting healed? I, I don't think he was getting healed. But I noticed they had a red circle around them. So if you were close to them. I think they did damage to you. But they spawned frequently. So you had to keep killing these other spiders. Otherwise there would have been too many they would have taken up the whole arena and when he targeted you you had to sprint to get away because if you just tried to run you were getting pummeled there was no way you could just just you know your normal you know w to move key that was that was not enough and you couldn't look behind you all you could do was move forward slightly strafing while sprinting to avoid this guy and he hit you hard too i think it only took a few hits for the healer to go down then i had to switch to my resto staff to try and keep everybody up it was there were a bunch of things happening happening in this fight that you had to pay attention to because it was the first fight of its kind that i've noticed that you had to actually pay attention to things to get to get past it and it was it was a really awesome fight and i knew it was going to happen i even said to you the centurion is going to kick our butts so in craglorn i'm hoping to see fights where you have to you, you have to dodge you they have the sprint button i, I want to see them utilize it 
in boss mechanics because you know if, to get away from something you have to sprint I want to see them use the block mechanic like if if you said the white queen or the white lady yep. yeah if she's shooting things in the air that are falling on you and there are circles on the ground if they're spawning rapidly on the ground to damage you maybe you have to sprint to get away or block I'm I'm hoping they do some interesting things with the fight. I I think it would be kind of neat is some mechanics that would be interesting that, like, I don't feel like there's going to be a lot of um, buffs and debuffs like there were in Rift, because it's not that type of game. Um, there are buffs and debuffs, but they're often very short. They're kind of whatever, and there's not a lot of cleansing, because in the base game, you don't have unit frames that show this information. I, I think they stripped it out of the U API as well. You can see buffs and debuffs on yourself, but not friendly players. Um, but I think a way of getting around that would be for like environmental ways of removing buffs, such as she starts channeling a spell that is hurting everybody, like ticking away at your health, and it only disappears if, say everyone in your raid activates a platform like there's 12 platforms everyone has to go stand on it to stop her from casting this spell and i think that would be a neat way similar to are she single targets a guy and it's a five second cast or a three second cast and if she's focusing that person at the end of that cast instant death for that person unless they're interrupted i think that'd be a neat way to kind of implement the action combat to make it seem more action oriented because this game isn't a game about hot bars and and uh, debuffs and buffs and debuffs like you do have buffs and debuffs in the game but they're mostly on your character and and you know for group content they need to come up with a way to mesh the active combat of this game with old mechanics that make it difficult but you can't just be staring at a hot bar when you see a debuff cleanse it make it so that it's a we have to go activate a lever or we have to go do this or, you know, something that the group has to do to get rid of the buff. And it's not the healer's job to cleanse it. Make it the group's job to cleanse it. Um, I think that would be kind of neat. Like I can even see with the statue guy, he was fighting him. Like he was doing these power attacks. Maybe there's something you have to do when he's charging up that sword that blew apart the entire room. Maybe there's something you have to do, like going and smashing a, a crystal or something to stop him from doing it. If you don't kill it, he gets that off and it wipes your raid. Or when he goes to smash a statue, maybe he gets a special buff that you have to go and somehow disable by, you know, I don't know, sucking his soul in with soul shards, something like that. Anything to make it a group effort, and it shouldn't, it should never be a. The healer has to do this. If the healer's not healing, whatever, or the tank has to do this, make it a group effort. Make it the entire group as a whole has to work. And I think these are ways they can implement interesting mechanics into the game um, without resorting back to needing uh, unit frames and debuff cursor, you know, uh, decursive, those kind of add-ons. What do you think? I completely agree, as I've healed in a great many games, and I'm, you know, quite frankly, I'm tired of always having to use the decursive add-ons and the raid frames and, you know, heal bot and 
voodoo and all these crazy things just to pay attention to all the information. Just let me run around, let me attack if I have to, and let me heal. But make it a group effort. I I agree completely. All right. So, I mean, other than, of course, increasing your veteran rank, which is cool. And I think this is a great step to keep things fresh, if you will. I don't ever want to see the when a new raid content comes out that everyone forgets Craglorn. I like the idea of the veteran ranks needing a certain rank to get into zones. Um, they should make it so that there are things you have to go back into Craglorn for, like... When the new zone comes out, make it go up to, I don't know, let's just say Craglorn goes from veteran rank 11 to 15. Make the next one 16 to 20. And in order for you to get into that, you have to level up in Craglorn a little bit. And make it so that there's uh, materials that you can farm in Craglorn for crafting. Things like that that make people want to go back and help their guild members and stuff in Craglorn. I think that'd be a, a fun thing besides the fact people want to go back to craglorn to get skill points and the, the sky shards and stuff that are out there okay anything else that you would like to discuss about the craglorn experience before we move on no i i think we covered just about all of it yeah yeah we're good all right well i'm definitely excited about craglorn and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's move on to the next section, which is the Tales of Tamriel. Now, we're going to do something a little different this week. First off, before we get into the tales, because um, Thais and I are going to tell our tales together, because that's what we do, let's step away from the telling the tales the way we normally do it. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about what we've been doing with our character so far, because... We haven't done that yet. Like, how? what level are you at? How are you messing with... How, what are you focusing on as a character from a gaming standpoint? And then we're going to redo the tales the way we always do. But first off, let's talk about what we've done with our character from a mechanic standpoint. So, first off, Thais, what level are you, class, and what are you kind... What are you doing with your character? What direction are you spending your points in? Well, I am a Breton sorcerer, and I think I'm level 23. I think that's what level we are. There's, we're not 25 yet, are we? Yeah, because we got... Remember, I was like, what in creation is this when we walked out? And uh, spoiler, the person started saying, come see me. All right, that's right. Okay, so then we are. We're, we're 25. Wow, I'm way off. I can't count. We are I'm level 25, and... I am the kind of player where, because I'm a sorcerer, I refuse to play with any kind of sword or dagger, because as a sorcerer... And yet she still holds them in her bank. All the axes and heavy armor and daggers. She won't use them, but she'll still hold on to them. <laughs> that, is, that is completely true. Well, in being at the, you know, the Mage Academy, I wasn't taught how to use swords or daggers, so there is no reason I would ever equip one. So, like, I, there's, that's just, gosh, come on, guys, come on. I would never, ever use a sword or a shield. I am all about my staff and all the spells that I can do and shocking people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. All about your staves, because you have staves. Exactly, my staves, yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I meant to say. So at first, all I was doing was just my destruction staff and my sorcerer skill lines until I started to realize that with 
me with Ag and I both being straight DPS, although Ag's kind of dabbled in some healing. But with neither one of us really being a dedicated healer, it was making some things kind of difficult because if we went up against something that we, we couldn't encounter, we would, we would inevitably die. So I started doing the restoration staff as well. So now I have two skills in the restoration staff. I think I have two of the passives. In my sorcerer skill line, I did a lot in storm calling because I like being the kind of storm mage, you know, manipulating the fire and the lightning and the frost. That, that to me is, is enjoyable. In Daedric, I think Daedric summoning is my lowest skill line because I've only picked up the two summoning skills for the little Banekin and then the, the winged guy, the winged twilight. I do have, I think, one passive there, but that's it. And then in, oh gosh, what is the what is the name of the last skill? Dark line? magic. That's right, dark magic. Oh no, actually, I think dark magic is my lowest one because I think the only thing I have in there is the crystal shard <laughs> attack. Which is OP, by the way. I adore that attack. That has gotten me out of so much trouble in this game. If I'm getting my but whooped, I use Crystal Shard, knock him on his butt, and then there's the chance that I can win. So I, I really like that move. And then of course I have some passives in there. I don't think I have... Uh, no, I, I, have, I have some skill points. I have the one skill point, I think, in Soul Magic. I don't have any in the guilds because there wasn't anything of interest for me. And I have a few points in crafting because I've, I've been thoroughly enjoying the crafting and what I'm doing the most right now is clothing and alchemy because in pretty much any game that I play that has alchemy as an option I am always an alchemist and an herbalist I have to be it's just it's just me I, I it's what I have to do so that's that's kind of where my my character is going right now only doing the sorcerer bits that's it my character, of course, I am a level 25 Nord Templar. Um, I love my Nord Templars, by the way. They're fantastic. Uh, let's see here. At first, I was going through, like, two-handed weapon, of course, is my main. This is what I'm using. This is what I like to use. Um, at first, when we were first leveling up, I was rotating through all the weapons trying to keep them close to level. I think I have almost everything up to about 15. Um, but as of now, I actually have stopped doing that. I have a two-handed sword, and I use a sword and shield on the other side, but I have no points in sword and shield. I only have points in two-handed. Two-handed, I have everything unlocked that I currently have up to level, um, and every bit of passive I can in that. Um, that's the only thing I have passives in, though. No other, no other things do I have passives in. Um, oh wait, no, I take that back. Um, my Templar lines. I have been putting a point in every skill because I want to unlock the skills. Because I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none kind of deal. Um, I have not morphed anything yet. And while some people are like, "Why haven't you morphed things?" I'm like, "Well, I don't want to waste the skill point." Because I don't know 
the, that's the one complaint I have about the current way you can respec. It's all or nothing. I can't. I know. I get it. Hundred gold per point. Great. Why can't I just pick one point that I want to remove? You can't. You have to do it all. And at this point, it's way too expensive for me because I've I've had a lot of skill points in there. Um, so my thought is I haven't morphed anything because I haven't really decided what I want to use. There are certain ones that I've currently used, like for my two-handed sword. Um, cleave is pretty much worthless because you can get passives and stuff that cleave some of your damage out. You don't need to use cleave. Um, critical charge I liked. It's really nice. I may end up using that because I really didn't like the focus charge from the Templar Adric Spear line. I thought I was going to use that instead, but I don't like it as much. Um, but currently, the other ones, like the, uh, what is it, Uppercut or something like that for the two-handed sword, it's a nice CC. It takes knocks them down for a long, but it takes so long to cast that I, if I would have spent a point in it, it would have been upset. Um, I really like the back or is it's like backslash or something like that right now. And that's the one I'm using a lot of, but I'm still waiting on momentum, still waiting on momentum yet because that one looks like it's pretty neat. It's not re it's a weapon skill, but it doesn't actually count as a weapon skill. It increases your damage by 10% and then 2% every second till its duration. So I think at the end, it's almost a 50% damage increase. So it's pretty substantial. Um, again, with all the all the spell lines, I want to kind of have a heal. I want to have a ranged attack on my bar as well as a as a uh, the Adric Spear melee line. But I haven't figured out what ability is cool yet. Just by reading the abilities, like I've read the abilities in the past, and I think they're you know some of them don't sound cool at all. And like I found like uh, the backslash or whatever it is for the sword, I'm like, well, that sounds that sounds kind of kind of dumb. And I found out that one's the one that works the best for me, uh, for my playstyle. Uh, other like Adric spear lines, I'm sitting there. Um, I forget what the one the one that's called puncture. The very first one you get, I'm like, I'm not gonna use this. I'm gonna get rid of it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get this focus charge. That sounds so cool. I got focus charge. I hate it. And Adric or the puncture becomes so powerful. I'm like, I ended up wanting to keep puncture, but then there's other ones called like uh, spear shards and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there going, well, maybe that's what I'm gonna want, but I don't know until I've unlocked. So I'm spending a point in each one to unlock it. And once I have them all unlocked, that's when I'll start making my decisions on what I'm gonna morph. Because I just I don't feel like I like a lot of the abilities. Um. Every ability I unlock, when it's time for it to be morphed, I morph it instantly because if I've unlocked it, I have obviously shown interest in that skill. So I make sure I morph it because after you morph a skill, it takes considerably longer for it to level up. Yeah, I will have to mess with that. and Maybe that's why earlier, before I started putting passives in my uh, two-hand and stuff, like I felt like I was, like I was wearing a... Uh, a blue quality sword and I thought I was hitting harder with my dual wield white swords than I was with my two handed. And uh, I guess I was, I felt like I was just hitting with a pillow. Um, but yeah, now I, I really like the, the two handed cause I started putting some passives in it. I just haven't made a decision what I want to do. Um, so of course I have 
backslash, and I have one Adric, Spear, one Dawn's Wrath, and one uh, Healing Light on my bar. And for the fifth slot, in honor of Krabby, I have Silver Bolts. So, vampires and werewolves, beware, because that attack is just OP. Um, I put a lot of points into blacksmithing. That's the only one I'm focusing on at the moment. I've been leveling everything up through breaking down and stuff like that. But I haven't put any points in it because I think it takes 24 points to max out blacksmithing. It's a lot. So I decided I'm going to focus on blacksmithing now. And since you're doing clothing, you're kind of taking care of the other two armor pieces that I need. Which I'm wearing. I'm currently wearing all heavy armor with the exception of my hood. I have a light armor hood and I'm wearing a medium armor belt. Um, in this manner, all my armors are leveling up at around the same rate. And uh, then I can decide how I want to do stuff with passives. I haven't done anything with passives in, in armor yet, which is probably not the best idea. Um, fans of the show, please tell me that I'm being dumb and that the armor passives are a substantial boost and maybe I'll actually do it. Um but as of now, I haven't done anything like that. So I put one point in Fighter's Guild. The rest of my points have either been in my Templar lines, two-handed weapons, or blacksmithing. That's all I've really been doing. So that is my current character. I'm kind of focusing him to be the type of character I always play, which is the damage-dealing Holy Warrior, uh, Retribution Paladin from WoW, Champion, Two-handed champion, if you will, from Dark Age of Camelot, or the Paladin from Dark, if you played the Albi side, or the Thane, I guess it's closer to the Thane from the Midgard side in Dark Age of Camelot, if you played those games. Kind of more melee-focused, but with some support aspects. Um, I'm probably going to pull up a range weapon, I haven't decided what yet, but it'll probably end up being a destruction staff of some kind, only because... Templars are so melee or magicka heavy for all of our other abilities. I would imagine most of my gear will be augmenting magicka in some way, which would probably help the the, um, the destruction staff more than a bow. I was originally going to go bow, but I haven't done a lot in stamina type attacks. And since the majority of what I'm going to end up probably doing is magicka based damage anyway. I'm probably going to go Destruction Staff as my ranged alternative. So, those are our characters now as we currently are playing them. And let us begin with our Tales section. So, first off for the bullet list, we're going to do it the same way we did last week where I have bullet points. I'll rattle off a bullet point. Um, to the listeners, it may sound like gibberish to you, but it does mean stuff to us. And we'll go from there. So, first off for bullet point. Treasure maps are a blast. We've been working on our treasure maps from the collector's edition because we got them after we got the game and we put in our codes and stuff like that. Um, we got the treasure maps. And Thais is laughing, so I'm going to let her talk right now. So we, we open up the first treasure map, and it's while we were in Stone Falls. And he opens his on his computer, but I can't really see it, and he's, like, looking at it. And then I go, all right, I guess I'll open mine. So I opened mine, and and I look at it, and, you know, my jaw just hits the floor. And I turn my head, and I look over at Ag with this blank stare, 
as if I was asking, what the heck is this? Because it's just, it looks like a drunken blind Nord drew it with a crayon. And then just so happened to put a little circle or an X or an arrow to where the treasure could possibly be hiding. It was just insane. These maps trying to figure out what, where it could possibly be. And for anybody who's planning to do these maps, you really have to pay attention to these maps. And, and the, the details, because the one map we did had a specific detail on one part of the map, which was the only way we were able to find the treasure. And they can be quite difficult if you're not, if you're really not paying attention to any area you've explored. Just, just take it all in, guys. Just, just really take it all in. There are websites out there that spoil it, but I do encourage people, don't use them. I mean, if you get to a point where you're completely frustrated, don't, like, quit the game over it. Look it up. But it it does give you a little something special to look at the map and sit there going, you know, where is this? And it, it becomes an adventure in and of itself. It really is fun. So I do encourage people, while there are resources out there, so if you do get stuck and it's not fun for you anymore, people have already marked where they're at. I do encourage you to at least give it a try when you find a treasure map because they're fun i didn't even want to try it because that is just how the map looked it just looked too insane to me but but we we eventually eventually talked me into it and we went off on our adventure with these treasure maps and by the third map i was i was totally into it you know i'm staring at the map like well this looks like this and you know that tree surrounded by all this water could possibly be here but at one point ag and i go off in different directions like all right you look over there and i'll look over here and we'll see what we can find and we're both searching the map as as we're like trying to figure this out together it was it was a lot of fun, so I, I, yes, I definitely suggest give it a try. See if you can figure out figure it out. It's it's a puzzle all on its own. It's it's it is worth it to try and find it. You get that that thrill when you're finally able to find that dirt mound with the treasure chest in it. And as a note, I will say this because I've actually heard uh, someone else on a different podcast. Um, you need the treasure map in your bags in order to find the treasure. The The spawn, like you can look it up on one of these sites to find it, but the map won't be there. The, the pile of dirt only spawns if you have the map in your bags. Um, this person had got all the collector edition maps and thought he was going to be a little clever because you know there's a lot of them. There's one for every zone in the game. Um... So he's like, I'll just take a screenshot of it and delete the map because I don't need the map. He'd go to these areas and could not find them and only found out afterwards that you need the map in your bag in order for this. So he's like, it's supposed to be here. I looked it up. It's supposed to be here. But if you don't have the map, it will not be there. Mm-hmm. So public service announcement, don't delete your maps. If you plan on using them, not even the collector's edition ones because those ones you can't get again. Um but uh, 
if you find any treasure map, make sure that you do have it in your bag before you attempt to try to find the mound, or it will not be there. Uh, second public service announcement, if you're using the collector's edition maps, um, they give you one, or there's four containers you get, one for each area in the questing experience. Let Don't open, like you can open them, but don't take all the maps out. They will still stay in there. Only take out the map of the zone that you're trying out that way it only takes up four slots not 24 slots so there you go all right moving on to our next bullet point desperate souls finally fixed oh my goodness this was like the last quest that we had in stone falls and it was pretty much broken since the launch of the game uh the final step of the quest where you had to free the argonian's father from a soul crystal was bugged so whenever you would go up and try to use the i guess he had a type of liquid fire that would melt the soul crystal and free the soul it would never work like you go up to use it goes okay use and your guy just stands there and we could oh my goodness every day first he's like okay what are we gonna do today well first thing i'm gonna do is i'm gonna go check on desperate souls <laughs> and it was never fixed it is finally fixed now so yay I, I was just so excited. There's not a lot to say about that unless you have... No. Not a lot to say other than we were finally able to finish that because we like to finish every zone to 100% completion before we kind of move on to the next. We did this in Guild Wars 2. I play this way in Skyrim. Like, I will go into a hold and I will... Like, I have a map of Skyrim on the wall and I will search out every single cave on that hold and eliminate it hold at a time so like when i found my house in Folkreath, first thing i did was everything like when i was on my map if there was a black symbol that means i didn't clear it i would go and clear it and anything in that hold once i was done with that hold i'd move on to the next one and i would double check with my map to make sure that i had everything in the hold before moving on that's how i play skyrim that's that's me i'm very into my games but i just the type of person I am, I'm very systematic about the way I handle things. It's just how I am. Even when we get into a new city, we we go in and we talk to everyone in a city, but we're very systematic. She's like, I'll follow you, and I go this house in this corner, all, all the houses in this quarter of the city, and then we go to the next. That's how I play. Um, next part we finally completed Stone Falls and moved on to Deshaun. Um, I don't want to go over the entire thing, but what? how do you feel the zone went? Like, overall, the zone? Because I don't want to give away spoilers because it's an epic ending for the zone. I think it, I think it was good. I liked a lot of the individual storylines and the NPCs. As we mentioned in the last show, like there were a couple storylines in Stone Falls that brought tears to my eyes because they were just they were so good. I, I enjoyed the first zone experience very much. I, I liked everything that they did. I like how they pulled the I pulled it together at the end there and then when you, when we moved on, it was good. I liked it. Yeah, like there was there was a lot of heart rate. Like even the final quest, the motivation of the of the character, why he was doing what he was doing was it was very sad. And we really liked it. Um I think one of the most interesting things was uh, 
like the Deshaun or not the Deshaun, the house dress information going in. Um, it, 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 it's, they were kind of a dark group of people and having to assist them really kind of hurt my morals, if you will. Um, so yeah, but anyway, Stonefall's fantastic and it was a lot of fun. So, um, the next thing I marked before we go into Deshaun is shout out to our guild members because we ran the first three dungeons with our guild members, Krabby and Kipster. Um, was a lot of fun actually because uh we we went into a pug originally as we said before and we like to listen to the story the story's fantastic why would we want to skip it and the pug we were in was like come on guys we're not just standing here all day waiting for you to listen to the story so um we made a note that the first time we went through a dungeon we wanted to do it with guildies and stuff like that so that people wouldn't yell at us for listening to the story um we went in pretty over-leveled, I think, for the first three, because what were we, 20-something? 21, as she said, and uh, Krabby, I think, was almost 28, and Kipster was, like, 32. Um, but it was surprising, like, those first three dungeons, I don't think the bosses themselves were difficult, but at level, I imagine it'd be pretty tough with the amount of mobs that come at you at a time. What, what do you think? Oh, the dungeons were really good, except for that spider dungeon. That that was no bad. No, never again. I will never, ever, 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 never, never run that dungeon again because I'm deathly afraid of spiders. So the spider dungeon was just an epic no-no for me. Never again. But the, they were fun. I, I liked the layout of the dungeons. I liked how they have the hidden chests, and I like how they have... The, the golden bags, or what are they called? I think, the, I think the, the heavy bags. The heavy bags that have the special little treasures, but only one person can loot it. I, I, I really like the dungeon experience. Only the, only the Centurion so far has been difficult, but we did that almost at level. So that's probably why everything else we did over leveled. So we didn't really get to experience it fully. Right, I, I think we were one or two levels above where we were, but we did kind of make it harder our, on ourselves um, with the other one because we did it without a tank, and we'll make mention to that one a little later. Um, but yeah, like it, it was it was an interesting experience, and I know the banished cells was bugged for us, so we weren't able to finish it. We went back later with Krabby and Kipster in our guild and took it out. So those were fun. I, I like the group dungeons. So moving on to Deshaun, we're greeted by a courier who is frantic in Stonefall saying he's trying to escape a plague, the Lodos Plague. So when we arrive in this little town called the Cirque, we are greeted by quite a scene. Um, what was your first thoughts when we walked into the Cirque? My first thought was, can we go back to Stone Falls where we're not going to get sick? Because <laughs> I had just gotten over the flu, and I really don't want to pick up the Lotus Plague. Like, I, I, I don't really think we should be in this town right now. Because it was just, everyone's freaking out, and there were, like, people whose, like, skin was just getting eaten away. And I, I felt really bad for this little town. And then... Yeah, I just, yeah, I felt really bad for this town. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead from this point on and say that there may be spoilers or mild spoilers. We do level kind of slow compared to most people, so I have a feeling anyone who's listening to the podcast may already have passed these quests. Um, so we're going to try not to get super in-depth, but I am going to note that from from right now, um, there may be spoilers. So if you absolutely do not want spoilers, please do not like skip ahead for a little bit or stop listening now <laughs> or skip ahead till you hear us talking about the uh, dramatic reading which is the next section okay um but yeah when we walk in it the 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 air like in the town is really creepy because there is a group moving in called the Mulborn, and you don't know much about them apparently they are a group of uh altruistic an altruistic group a healing altruistic thank you uh, they say they're all about healing and there's a way that they're going to save the people from this plague um, but when you get into town people are shut off they quarantined off the old cemetery and are no longer accepting new people into the cemetery to, to help they're like no we're, that's it and they cut off everyone else in the town because they were administering their curative to all the people and the people are frantic because one of the quests we had to do is we had to find someone's brother who went missing he was a very popular uh, political figure in the town and was trying to help out everyone in the town so he was going door to door trying to help all these people but he stopped appearing he disappeared Um, and so we're trying to help trying to get into the quarantine section of, of the cert to try to find this lady's missing brother but the the plague is really in depth apparently the plague causes people to turn into inhumane monsters they get these boils and burns over their body we actually discovered a woman up top um who was who had it she was really bad her husband was by by her bedside she was a dark elf and she was there and she had these lesions all it looked like she had like third degree burns over her body as the plague was growing on and there was another man downstairs he was a wealthy nobleman in mournhold saying that he brought her to the cirque to try to cure his wife he would give up everything he had to see his wife healed but the the Malborn had stopped giving out the curative so we had to go and try to figure out what was going on by by now we hadn't gone into the cemetery yet, but it was already becoming clear that the Mulborn were bad news. Because the one person we talked to said that she had to go back for her third round of the curative, but that she hadn't noticed herself improving. And at that point, you know, I had been thinking, well, that doesn't sound good. You know, by the second round of the medicine, you should be feeling better. Like, this just does not sit well. And like something is just not going right here and and the the town is just there are some people who are all about the Mulborn and then there were others who were like, you know, I, I'm not so sure about these people. And it was really putting me on edge being in this town. Because I have to be honest, as I'm walking around this town and thinking, you know, I really don't want to develop this plague and how am I gonna help these people and not get sick and how am I going to be wandering around this quarantine section with all these other people? And what am I going to find? And it was just not pleasant for this to be the first place we wind up 
in this new area that's it's foreign to us. It was it was not cool. Um, yeah, definitely not. We actually came up with a plan because a lot of people do not trust the Mulborn. They're like they say they're here to heal us, but why would they shut off the curative? Um, and one of the people we meet is actually an alchemist, and she gives you a quest because she's like she wants to help, but she's saying the Mulborn will not give her any of the curative. And when she asks what's in it, why because the people don't seem to be getting better, she is greeted with the words, we're sorry, this is a proprietary formula. She's like, I automatically don't trust anything that's proprietary. So we had to go in and sneak into the quarantine zone to try to find out, get some samples of the plague, as well as try to figure out why they stopped. So we actually ambush a guard and take his key, and that's when we enter the quarantine zone. And what is it, the first thing we see when we enter the quarantine zone, Thais? Oh. When we first walk in, it is filled with plague husk. Everywhere, plague husk. And people, like, we found these bodies. These They're, they're zombies, essentially. The, the Lodos Plague, the final stages, kills and reanimates the bodies. Right after we enter and we see these plague hosts, there's a table with a note. And the note right away starts saying all these horrible things about the curative, that it's too potent and that people are turning too quickly. And, and we're just, whoa, wow, wow. What is going on here? This is just, this is horrible. And, you know, as, as we're walking through this, this zone, we're seeing all these people laying down saying that they're there for the curative and that they're, they're going to get better soon because they really trust the Mulborn. But by this point, it's like, no, you're, they are not going to help you. I'm sorry, but you're pretty much going to die. And one of the notes that I found was fascinating. You actually find it under a body of a guard saying that make sure that you wear the repellent. It wasn't a repellent, but it was a scent. Um, they're like, the plague husk will only attack you if you don't smell like them. We know it's disgusting, but ask the other guard. She didn't like putting it on because it kept getting in her hair and she couldn't get the smell out. Well, now she's dead. So when you find it underneath the guard, apparently he wasn't wearing the the repellent either and got attacked by the Malborn, uh, not the Malborn, the uh, plague husk and was killed. We actually penetrate inside the... the uh, not a necropolis, that's a whole city, but we went inside the underground catacombs and started fighting our way through the plagues, or the Mulborn who are in there concocting plague, and as we're going through, we're seeing notes of this batch, it, it, it goes too quickly, or we need to try to change the dosage so people don't turn so fast. We found out that if we can find um, uh, different ways of manipulating so it lasts longer and spreads faster, we found the Mulborn are actually not the healers we thought they were. They were spreading a plague to wipe out people. Apparently, the Cirque was just a starting point. Because as we go through, um, it, it's all grand scheme by these Malborn to... What their grand scheme is, I'm not sure. But the Cirque was only a starting point. This was a testing ground for them. Their one true target is Mournhold. 
and we find that out that that's where they're trying to transport stuff through as we continue down through the quest lines um through the different mini cities that everywhere up until mournhold was just a testing point um one interesting note on one of the quests we entered we found a woman who got separated from her husband she uh she asked us to help find her and that they were inside this one crypt and they barricaded themselves off to protect themselves from the plague. So as we go in, we find this group of people who had barricaded themselves. And when we go in, something just doesn't feel right. It was it was super creepy walking into this room because no one really wants to tell you anything. And we had to fight a whole bunch of plague husks to get in there. And oh. The one key thing that was said was when you walk in, we ask, how are you guys living in this catacomb? Where do you get your food? And the one guy goes, oh, well, we always leave that up to the leader of the camp. Him and his group of hunters always seems to have a knack for finding fresh meat for us. But everyone, when you ask them about, well, what is what do they catch? They're all like, well, you should probably just go ask him. Something is definitely wrong with this group of survivors, and we can feel it. Right off the bat, when we go back, we look around. We cannot find this woman's husband anywhere. Um, so we go back to her, and pretty much we're given one of these. One of the cool things about the Elder Scrolls Online is one of the quests where you have to make a choice on what you want to do. And... We pretty much told the woman right off the bat that we didn't feel it was safe here. She's like, should we stay? Should we go look for him? I'm like, your husband's not here and it's not safe. You need to get out of here now. So we say we're going to go look for her husband. We find out from the leader that the husband was infected somewhere along the line and they left him off to die somewhere else in the catacombs. So... We have no way of proving other than our own selves, so we go out into the catacombs to look for her husband, and we do indeed find him. He was infected with the plague. We managed to kill him and um, read through his journal. His journal actually contained notes that the fresh meat that they had been finding were the dead bodies of the different people that they found. They were eating the other survivors. That's how they were living. You ask someone in the camp, you know, what is it that you're eating? Because he looks like he's eating the leg of something. And he goes, oh, we don't know. But the leader just so happens to call it meatloaf surprise. And that just made my stomach turn and... When you're reading through his journal and it's saying that he discovered this and that he was he was left to die and that you know they don't no one really knows what they're eating but the leader knows and how could he do this and it it was devastating and and just disgusting and and I knew something was up as soon as I walked into that camp because I could just feel the vibe and oh it was it was just gross. We did actually find in the back room the cold storage they were keeping the bodies. So we went in and we burnt all their all the bodies that were in there so they couldn't could not eat the bodies any further and force them out of the cave. But oh, I love how dark this game is. 
Um, moving on, we actually, as a footnote here, Stace marveled over an Elder Scroll when we visited Cyrodiil. I had never seen one before, and he wanted to take us to Cyrodiil to complete a quest to get a Sky Shard. And it has us go to, you know, one of the little temples where they're keeping an Elder Scroll. And I had never seen one before. I've heard the word. I know what they're about. I know what they do. But there floating in the center of the temple was an actual Elder Scroll. And I sat in my chair and I just, I, I went into first person view and I had myself just stare for, for a good two minutes, just sit there and stare and marvel over this, this, this Elder Scroll is it's just, it's floating in front of me. And what secrets could it possibly be hiding? And what knowledge does it have for me? And I, I found myself thinking, would I willingly allow myself to go blind or insane if it meant that I got to study one of these scrolls? And in my head, I'm, I'm like, you know, I kind of want to reach out to touch it. Oh, but it's a game. I can't actually do that. So I did. I, I, I sat there and I was just in awe over seeing one of the illustrious Elder Scrolls. I've seen them in the beta. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was kind of neat. So we actually started moving on. There is a series of quests that you follow the Malborn Plague all the way up into Mournhold. There was like two other cities, but they were kind of similar things, finding out about the the plague and how they were spreading them. Um, we decided we were going to hang out in Mournhold, and we went and started to work with the different quests in the area. Um I'm going to kind of go out of order here a little bit. The one thing we did was we got an invitation to the Academy. Now, this quest line, I'm not going to go crazy over the quest line, because the quest line itself, again, it's continuation of the Moleborn storyline, um, and them attacking this Academy, uh, which is pretty neat in and of themselves. They're after a specific item, but I'm not going to say what it is, because it's kind of neat. By the time you progress this far in the storyline, they've kind of taken a desperate turn. And they went after an artifact hidden here. But one of the fun little things we had to do was we were told that we had to help these three people pass their entrance exams. Because the headmaster saw a vision, or a vision that we would save the academy and that these people would assist us. So they absolutely had to pass their entrance exams. Um, they were all actually kind of rather silly in a way. But one of the funniest ones was we stumbled upon this one... Uh, dark elf who had to find an amulet that was inside of a chicken but she was given a magic wand and she was scared to use it she asked us to do it go ahead you're you're laughing over here already so she's she gives us the wand and she's telling us you know just go over and use it on those chickens over there i don't know what it does and you know, I'm apprehensive and, and Ag just walks off over there somewhere. I'm like, alright, I'm just gonna use it on this chicken, see what it does. So I use it on this chicken and all of a sudden feathers fly everywhere as this chicken is just blasted into the air. Just feathers are flying, chickens are blasted. Like, oh my gosh, the ch I'm blasting chickens into the sky. 
and there was no amulets. Like, oh crap, I have to do it again. So I target another chicken and I blast its butt all the way up into the air. More feathers are flying. Finally, the amulet drops. I'm happy it was only the second chicken because I don't know how many more times I could have done that to these 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 poor chickens. So I pick up the amulet and I go back to the lady and the lady's like, I didn't know it was going to do that, but boy, was it hilarious to watch them chickens just fly up into the sky. And I'm like, you horrible woman. Do you know how many chicken butts I had to scorch to get you your amulet? That is not fair. Them poor chickens didn't do nothing. <laughs> yeah. So after we did that and we finished that quest line, we went back into Morrow or not Morrowind. Mornhold, which is in Morrowind, and I'm going to let these do this one, because this is one she wanted to do, but uh, Vengeance of the Oppressed, why don't you tell us that story? Well, as, you know, a lot of you should know by now, I am in love with Argonians. I think they are the best race in Elder Scrolls. They are the hippies of Elder Scrolls, and I just, I love them dearly. Well, we're approached by this Argonian man who tells us that he was, him and his family were slaves, and that he had a daughter, and Scales That Glint was her name, or Eyes That Glint. I'm not sure, but it was something, Eyes That Glint, Scales That Glint, and that it was their only daughter between him and his wife, but that she had died because their masters had worked her to death and that 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 is how she died she was just worked to death doing whatever the masters had told her to do and that the sargonian and his wife were so distraught and upset this family did this to them that now because they had been freed they wanted to take it out on this family they wanted their vengeance for their lost daughter and you know, you meet up with, uh, it turns out that this woman is the last of her family line. Because something had happened and, and she is now, oh, that's right. The Argonian family had been able to get rid of the rest of her family, but she was away and now she's come back to reclaim what is rightfully hers that was part of her family line. You know, you talk to her and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, your your house is right over there. I'll help you. You know, come on, let's go together. And, you know, you lead her to the house, and she says to you, oh, well, here it is. I wonder what's left. And then you're given a choice of whether to take her into the house, or you can say to her, listen, something might happen if you go in there. And me, being all about the Argonians, I, I, was, I was really upset that they had worked this poor Argonian's daughter to death, that I actually said... All right, come on, let's go into the house. And she goes, so you're in on it too. Well, I guess there's nothing left to do but to go into this house. Like she had resigned herself to her fate because she knew it's what she deserved. And I was really happy the quest took that turn. But I wouldn't have mattered. I still would have wanted to take her out anyway. So you go into the house and, you know, you, you fight this woman and the ambush takes place. And then you go outside and the Argonian and his wife are sitting there, and I went to talk to his wife first, and she goes, you know, what was all this for? Eyes that glint is still gone, and we are no better than this family now. And you talk to the father, and he says, 
I, I'm happy to have taken out my vengeance, but it will never bring my daughter back. Although this family did deserve to die for what they did to us. And it was just a really heartbreaking kind of storyline. It was just a little, a little side quest. But even the name of the, the quest, Vengeance of the Oppressed, I thought it was worth mentioning, you know, how, how deep these characters go and, and what they kind of really invoke in you as a player. That normally I'm all about justice, but in this instance, I had to help these Argonians. I could not let them get away with this family with what they did. Definitely was a very interesting quest line. Um, the last part of our thing here, we finished up uh, the quest in Mornhold uh, there, and uncovered the scheme of the Malborn within Mornhold. So we thwarted their plan there. So now they're kind of on the defensive and you start seeing that as you adventure further along. We're after the mask, the mask villain who's behind the Lodos plague and we're chasing them across uh, Deshaun. And that's where we're at now. We did get to meet one of the three tribunal though. We got to meet a God. We got to meet a God. I was so excited. You shouldn't be excited. You're an Ashlander. You don't believe in them anyway. That is true. That is actually true. But I was still excited to see, to meet one of the gods. It's, it's still something that's like, oh my gosh, it's, she's like right there. <laughs> I was excited as well, but I was actually more disappointed because, I don't know, like, I, I've seen Omalexia in Morrowind, and to be honest, like, yeah... Uh, it's going to be weird to say this, given Morrowind's graphic engine, but I thought she was way hotter in Morrowind than she was in ESO. Like, she didn't really even look like herself from the like the art that I showed you, as well as the screenshots from Morrowind. Yes, I know you're comparing some early 3D graphics to these, so yes, like she had the tattoos and she kind of wore the same clothing, but she just didn't have the same feel the face uh like face was different hair was different um i didn't think she had the yellow skin um face says she does i because she kind of had this weird aura around her um I, I just i didn't like the model they did for her i think they should have done a special model like i know what they tried look like they tried to do was use an in-game model i think they should have made a special model for her and uh, went from there, but they didn't. So I'm actually really interested to see uh, Vivek and um, Sotha Sil, but they're not in the game as of yet, as far as I can tell, as far in as we've gone. But um, yeah, so we did. We got to meet Omalexia, and that was pretty cool. Uh, the last note that I had is we actually got to run Darkshade Caverns with uh, Jack Bauer from our guild so that's clean 35 so that was that was the that was the dungeon that gave us the hard time that stupid centurion oh my gosh i'm never gonna forget that how he just whooped our butts and we felt so helpless we did try it without a proper tank we went in with three dps we were slightly higher level because by the time we went in there we were 22 or 23 or something like that and i can't remember the level the quest was a level 20 
quests, so I think that we were near the top end of the level range. Um, but yeah, the Centaurian was still pretty difficult. Even near even our winning attempt, I think the healer, the main healer, had died. Um, I think Jack died, and we were trying to get them up. And it was I think it was just me and you up at the time. I think because we were running around like I think I went through like a dozen soul shards to try to res people because if the centaurian wasn't on me i was running over towards a dead person to, to res them but it was a fun time it definitely was so herein ends our tales for the tales of tamriel for this week we're going to move on to the next section and it is Thais's favorite time it's time for her dramatic reading of a book of the elder scrolls series this week in honor of the elder scrolls online uh we are going to host the four, a four se- four part series by reading the biographies of the leaders of the faction war jerun the scald king queen Arin, high king emric and finally the tharn family who currently control the imperial city and the ruby throne Uh, This week, we're actually going to be continuing our four-part series with part two, which is about Queen Arryn of the Aldmeri Dominion. The book is called Arryn, the Unforeseen Queen, the story of Arryn's birth and mysterious ascension to the throne. Thais, take it away. I chose a particularly difficult book for me to read this week. There's a lot of words in here that are just really odd, so bear with me, guys. The author of this book is Headmaster Tanyan of the College of Aldmeri Propriety. Some of our Bosmeri and Kajiti students have come under the misapprehension that not all of the Altmer of Somerset are united behind our glorious Queen Aran. Nothing could be further from the truth. We High Elves have a penchant for urbane witticisms and sophisticated wordplay that can sometimes be misinterpreted by individuals newly exposed to our ancient and refined culture. So I've assembled this brief introduction of our beloved Queen of Eleanor, intending to tell her story in a simple, direct fashion that can be understood even by our new allies in the Aldmari Dominion. The Altmer, of course, are descended in an unbroken line from the divines who created Nern, and none more so than the royal family of Eleanor. Aaron's father, King Hydeleth of August memory, ruled the Somerset Isles long and well, and exemplified the best traditions of elven ceremonarchy, basing his every decision on, a, on the predecessors laid down in the scrolls of Praxis. In due time, as ordained by the scrolls, King Hydeleth and his wife, Kinlady Tunden, conceived the child, who was named Aren as the Praxis dictated. Princess Aren was born on the 5th of Second Seed in the year 555 of the Second Era, a very auspicious date, though I will spare you the reasons why, as you lack the context to comprehend its full significance. However, you can believe me when I tell you all Somerset, Oradon, and Arteum celebrated her birth for 55 days. It was foretold that Princess Aren would reflect the restlessness and turbulent times in which she was born, and so it came to pass. Nimble and quick-witted, she was quick to master the lessons of her tutors, and from an early age often opted unorthodox approaches to schoolwork. In fact, she sometimes became so engrossed in her independent studies that her whereabouts were unknown for days at a time. She would often return from these field trips with unusual knowledge and mastery of remarkable skills. One day, in the evening star of the year 563, 
the entire royal family of Eleanor gathered at the Crystal Tower to celebrate to celebrate Aren's matriculation to the Sapiarch's Labyrinth, where she was to study Altmeri Regal Praxis and the Ceremonarchy for the requisite 3,555 days. But somewhere between the palace and the tower, the princess had disappeared, and despite the 17th degree inquiry decreed by the Justicars, she was nowhere to be found. The Sapiarchs, however, reported that the night of her disappearance was filled with signs and portents, the constellation of the lady seeming to ride the constellation of the steed, while the great orary spun backward and a young eaglet was found atop the statue of Topol the Explorer. In due course, Prince Naaman, Aaron's eldest brother, was named heir to the throne of Eleanor, and in 565 he matriculated into the labyrinth. Naaman, like his father, was a natural ceremonarch who seemed to have a genuine relish for the rites and duties ordained for the heir by tradition. Indeed, when King Hydeleth ascended to Aetherius in the year 580, Prince Naaman immediately began preparing to speak the 88-day coronation liturgy that would elevate him to the throne of his father's place. Then, in a day of divine glory, the unforeseen occurred! Word came from Port Velen in Valenwood that Princess Aaron was on her way to Oridon by swan ship. In wonder and haste, the court of Eleanor took itself to first hold to greet her, arriving just in time to welcome her unexpected return. Princess Aaron announced that she was prepared, as the eldest heir, to assume the throne of Eleanor, and the High Justicar affirmed that this was, indeed, her right. She was crowned Queen Aaron on the 7th of Frostfall in the year 580. Now, some of you may have heard wild tales about Princess Aaron's adventures during her time away from Somerset, that she sailed as first mate with the pirate captain from Anvil, disguised herself as a Dunmer in order to read the Indigo Scrolls in the vaults of Necrom, vested the dervishes of Rihad at their own sword dance, and even outdrank Queen Mabjarn Flamehair of Winhelm in a mead-slamming contest. All myths and tales, I assure you, preposterous and absurd. Our queen was merely preparing for praxis and the ceremonarchy in her own fashion of independent study. Since assuming the throne, she has brought some innovations to the rule of our wondrous land, but this is as foretold at the time of her auspicious birth, and the sepiarchs, one and all, have endorsed her innovations. So as you see, students, Aaron is undisputed queen of the isles, and all is right and proper, as it should be. At least for a dirty elf. I mean, yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> so yes, that is... Queen Aren. Next week we will be continuing with High King Emric of the Daggerfall Covenant. I am really hoping that book isn't nearly as difficult as this one because there were a couple times I, I had to like blink at the words and I kind of you know twitched a little bit because at one point there was a string of words and I'm like oh my gosh how am I going to get this all out in a single sentence? You'll be happy to know that no it does not contain any such strange words it's just long i really do have to say to our fans that i thoroughly enjoy reading these books i i like reading anyway and to to read these books that have been written by 
the wonderful writers of this game is it just gives me so much joy to be able to read them and I'm I'm glad that you guys take the time to listen to me read read these books because they were written for the fans to read and enjoy and I, and I do I I love reading them for you guys awesome 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 all right moving on to our next spot the community spotlight uh, this week uh, we've chosen to spotlight Tiso Elite and their recent opening of a new community feature that they call the marketplace and actually this was endorsed by uh, the actual zenimax online studios they did a tweet about this but it's a place where you can coordinate your buying selling and trading of in-game goods and services for gold in eso um not real world money but it is an active form place i've actually been there a few times they have some pretty neat things uh kind of works a little bit like ebay but it's a form, so you put in there you're wanting to buy or wanting to sell and your services, and you can put um, things in there for starting bid, bids and what your buyout price is and stuff like that if you want to really get that up there. Um, but one of the neat things you can also do is, because, again, it's not moderated in any way by an in-game system that kind of deals with, you know, when you put something up on a, an auction house somewhere and someone buys it, the game handles the trading and everything like that. Um, and you get what it is you're after. In this, again, you're dealing with people, and and Zenimax has really made an effort to say we don't want this game to have a, a global auction house. I really don't think they ever will, because they want this game to be community based, where you go out and you find people that you can go to all the time. And actually, I want to spotlight. I'm not going to say his name because, quite frankly, I forget it. But somebody was on there. They did a post where they're saying wanting to sell veteran rank 10 daggers. Now, when you go and open the post, they're like, I'm not selling any specific one. I've been working on my blacksmithing. I have all of the dagger stuff unlocked. You tell me what it is you want, and I will get you a legendary version and I will quote you a price. If you have your own materials, I will lower the price because you'll be using your materials. But that's what it was. He was kind of setting up shop saying that he could make these legendary daggers uh, for anywhere you want with anything you want because he's unlocked all the traits. And that's kind of neat that he focused on this one thing and has all these traits and stuff for the dagger already set. Um, so yeah, like you said, it, that's a, a neat way. So now anyone who's going after after these things can look this guy up and go well if i want veteran rank daggers this is the guy to talk to and we can work out a deal from there likewise if you have um, <clears throat> a normal item you can put it up there for bid to buy and then you trade in game um the way it's kind of like ebay in a way is they have a feedback section where you can write your feedback for the seller like did they give you what you wanted did they try to you know you can give positive or negative feedback that way if you see somebody on there who's i don't know trolling or, or you know whatever the case may be did not provide you with the service that you thought you bought you can reflect it as such and they will get negative reviews on on their rating so that way you need to look at that and you know you go to face the wonderful and she has positive reviews you know everyone who's dealt with her has had a good experience to, and if she's selling something it's legit or Jealous the shady over there who has a negative reviews because I say I'm selling something and I make you give me the money first and I run off with it or I don't give you exactly what it is you're after 
Um, oh yeah, I can make veteran rank 10 stuff. And you're like, okay, this is what I want. Here you go. You trade the money and then you realize I put the wrong enchantment on it, the wrong trait, and I won't redo it. You know, that kind of stuff. It's it's definitely very community driven and it's really cool that TSO Elite is put this together for us. So thank you, TSO Elite. And thank you for being an amazing part of the Elder Scrolls Online community. Next up, I've actually added a separate section because um, I wanted to. <laughs> uh, it is the Guild Spotlight. Um, and the main reason why I even decided to add this is I wanted to mention the Tales of Tamriel Guild. And I don't think it fits in the Community Spotlight because that's for our community. Us reaching out to the community. But we've actually gotten a much larger interest in our tiny little guild than I expected. Uh, so I want to say thank you to everyone who wanted to join us in the Elder Scrolls Online. Um, and because of this, I've decided to add a guild spotlight section to our podcast. Uh, we will talk about things going on in the guild and spotlight different things our members are doing. Um, and again, in our tales, we kind of already gave shout outs to uh, Clean38 and... and um, Krabby and Kipster because they were running with us and doing some different stuff and that was kind of cool and we, we had a lot of fun with them um, we do have a guild ventrilo that information is available in the guild message of, not the message of the day the guild about so anyone's feel free to use that um, but yeah so for this week I wanted to let the guild members know that uh, Krabby Thais and myself have made our home campaign for Cyrodiil PvP Hopes Fire. Uh, we chose this campaign for two reasons. First, it had a strong Ebonheart pack presence um, by still being a lower population PvP campaign. Uh, so we shouldn't have any issues getting into PvP when we desire to do it. In fact, the last time I was there, we held everything. I checked this week, or today, and it looked like Daggerfall and... Um, Almar Dominion were trying to take a few keeps back because I saw they had a couple. Um, it is pretty unbalanced towards Ebonheart pack, so that's going to be our main one, but we can guess that other one. So I do encourage people to, if you want to PvP with us, that's where we're going to be, and that's where we're going to try to throw down our, our flag, if you will. Um, again, no real organi organization other than the fact we're there to have some fun, and if you want to PvP with us, that's where we're doing it. Um, the second reason why I did it, I like the lore reason behind it. I'm not really sure if people are aware, but each PvP campaign is the name of famous weapon in the Elder Scrolls universe or artifact. Um, while I would have personally preferred Dawn, or Dawnbreaker, because let's face it, I always play a Holy Warrior archetype, and the Dawnbreaker is the epitome of Holy Warrior weapons. Sadly, it was too full of uh, Aldmari Dominion to the point of insane unbalance. Um, a lot of the Aldmeri Dominion guilds during beta decided that's where they were going to go, a lot of the high-end PvP ones, and such they had a lot of tag-along where now it's so full of AD there's no point for really anyone else. Now from what I've heard so far is a lot of AD is jumping ship from that one because it's it's not fun for them anymore. So um, they're still jumping ship, but even so it's still unbalanced. Anyway, Hope's Fire was my second choice. Again, we found out that it had a high PvP, and I like the name. And the main reason behind it was this was the Blade of Almalexia. It is a one-handed Dwemiri sword, so 
was made by the Dwemers from the early first era. Hope's Fire and its twin True Flame, I don't know if you recognize that name, but that was getting fished up in the sulfur pools, which is kind of neat, um, represented the pinnacle of Dwemer craftsmanship. They were presented as wedding gifts to Lord Indoril, Nerovar, and Almalexia by the Dwer- or Dwemer King Dumac, Dwarf King. Though True Flame was shattered during the Battle of Red Mountain, circa 1st Era 700, Almalexia kept Hope's Fire well preserved over the years. In the 3rd Era 427, she wielded the Blue Flame Sword during her final battle against the Nerevarine in the depths of Sothasil's Clockwork City. Okay, yeah, well, there really was only one valid reason, but still thought it would be a good chance to share some of the lore from the Elder Scrolls universe. So again, our guild is representing the Ebonheart Pact, but ex- we accept anyone who is a fan of the show and would just like to interact with us. Uh, if you would like an invite to the guild, just whisper or send an in-game mail if I'm not online to at Jelos, our base, you want to... Oh, I can finally say where to contact me in game now since I successfully got my name changed. You can reach me in game at Tear Eater. That is T E A R E A T E R. At Tear Eater. That is who I am in game. I guess it would be pretty wise for me to spell my name out too because it is a little weird. I am at Agelos, A G G E L O S. So if you would like an invite to the guild, you can either whisper us or you can send us in-game mail. I have found out. So if you're on a different time and we're not on, you can send us an in-game mail and we can actually send you the invite even while you're offline. So we can get you in the in the guild if you decide you want to, to uh, talk with us. Again, we're still pretty small, but it's way larger than I thought. I think we had like 26 members now. So we're like halfway towards a guild bank um, so that or a guild store, I should say. So, way larger than what I thought. Like, I was just getting um, messages up and down saying, hey, I want in, I want in. Because originally it was the East and I, because it was our friends and family guild that we were going to have, and we decided to open it up for people. So, and again, of course, you can interact with every one of the hosts there. Everyone who is part of the Tales of Tamriel crew, um, in one way or another, you have our, you know, the main hosts, Thais and myself, and then we have our streamer um, for the show, Krabby, he's in the guild, as well as our PvP streamer, Flador, he's also in the guild as well, so you can chat with all of us. So, if you're interested, send us a message. Alright, we are going to move on to the emails section and comments. So we had a couple, um, couple comments on iTunes this week uh, that were actually pretty nice. Um, some criticism, especially about our last two episodes, which we were aware of. Um, I will say this, like, I know the sound has been a problem for the last two episodes we had. Please bear with us. That was our first attempts at live shows and it and streaming. And it's weird because Twitch requires a certain volume level. Like when we had it up really loud, like where it sounded like we could barely hear Krabby on the uh, on the podcast side. He was blowing out speakers on the on the Twitch side, so we had to mess with that a little bit, and it, it seems like the game was having the volume of anyone who was in it. Um, hence why I was often loud and clear, and Porthes and Krabby were quieter, because I was the only one not in-game during the entire recording process. Um, 
So we think we figured that out. We just need to work on the audio normalization and we will get that going. And I do apologize to any of our fans who had to deal with the bad audio the last uh, one or two podcasts. Um, do you say you want to read it? Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. All right. Oh, I actually talked to that person. They're in the, I don't think they're in the guild, but they're a very nice person. All right. First off, I'm going to read one from David Brooks on iTunes. Um, great per- content, poor production. First off, the show's hosts are fantastic. They are informative, likable, excited, and funny. I get a kick out of their accents. I assume that's crabby. And maybe you with your with your yeah your hood accent there um they make it even better what i don't like is the erratic production value i'm able to listen via a podcast only during my commute i don't know if the uh the problems are an effect of it being vodcast or not the voice volume from each host varies wildly the main host comes through loud and clear while the other hosts are difficult to hear at all the female voice is often unintelligible due to the low volume are being drowned out by background music that comes booming in out of nowhere however they do a nice job of not talking over one another i feel this could be a can't miss podcast if the technical issues are ironed out i don't mean to come across as overly critical i very much enjoy their show and i will continue to listen i do thank you for that uh mr brooks um it really was. If you go back and listen to one through nine, the audio volumes are pristine. And it's only since we started doing live shows that, again, we're kind of new at the podcasting thing. And the live shows almost were kind of like a spur of the moment. Like we want to do it something special for our 10th episode as well as the launch. And, um, my fault on that we really should have worked on the audio more that was definitely my fault on that one but we are working we will figure out how to continue doing live shows in the future because they do seem a lot like a lot of fun um we have a lot of people who like them but naturally we need to make sure that the audio is good for the podcast version because if you go out to twitch or youtube where we have the video versions the audio is from what I've heard and what I've listened to is fine. And actually is all about even it just, um, our recording software seems to not pick people up when they open a game, it kind of minimizes it. So thank you so much for your review and it, we do appreciate any kind of feedback. All right, next up, uh, you want to read this one? All right. Yeah, I'll read this one. This one is from Aratel. He said, love it exclamation points and gave five stars i really enjoy this podcast it's the only eso podcast i listen to besides elder lore the interaction of the hosts is wonderful i really appreciate how real they are i do not enjoy obnoxious hosts or sarcasm this podcast allows me to relax and listen to good people talk about my favorite gaming universe having a female host adds an excellent dynamic i appreciate her point of view I also like how they are obviously fans but can remain objective. By the way, I love the Bosmer. They are not dirty elves. The Altmer are pretentious and the Dunmer are a little too much on the dark side for me. I enjoy the lore behind the Wood Elves and their beautiful homeland of Vale and Wood and everything. I might just have to initiate a wild hunt if my brothers and sisters keep getting dissed by you silly packed lovers. My favorite part of the podcast is listening to Ajelos talk about 
his adventures in Tamriel. Love the readings, too. And the longer, the better. Although I don't have time to play ESO very much, hit me up in-game. Aratel Riverthorn. I, I have talked... Uh, spoke... Not talked. Bad grammar. I have spoken to him in-game. He's really cool. Really cool person. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of neat. I feel the need to diss some Bosmer and some Altmer now that I've read that. And just to say that they are dirty elves. Ew. <laughs> Bosmer, Altmer, Gross, the only good elves are the Dunmer. I just happen to like the Dunmer because they're kind of, you know, wily and frisky. Risque, more like it. Um, all right. Uh, we have another five-star review from Mind Trip. Great podcast. Loving the podcast, but please turn down the music. Again, this is attributed to our bad production volume so i'm again i'm sorry it drowns you guys out sometimes especially the two who aren't nearly as loud as the main host again i'm the only one who's really loud maybe i maybe they're normal volume and i'm just terribly obnoxious and loud <laughs> if i have to start speaking louder i will but i don't enjoy going louder than a than a than a gentle soft volume but if that's what it takes guys let me know and i will try to do a more booming voice might take some practice though hey what can i say i'm a nord and what, what if we kind of value the uh, the voice so it's my thum that's what it is the thum voice that's why everyone can hear me and none of you weird Bretons or anything else. Dunmer, that's what it is. The booming thum of the Nord Templar here. I can be booming if I need to with my thum. Was that booming enough for you? All right. Well, thank you so much for everyone who actually wrote us these reviews on iTunes. It really does help us out a lot. And we do appreciate the... Uh, compliments and the criticisms as well hence why like i said i read these things if uh as long as they're not rude and they're constructive i will indeed read them no matter what they're saying um because it is we're we're, we're a fan podcast we want to do this and we want to make this an enjoyable show if there's anything we can do to make it better that <clears throat> you know naturally or something we can or want to do um we will. Now, if it's a glaring problem like the audio, that is definitely something we want to fix. So we're glad to definitely figure out what we were doing wrong, and we will fix that. All right. Now it is my least favorite part of the show, the part where we give our final thoughts and to let people know where they can follow us. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Thais, tell us your final thoughts of the episode, and you can reiterate again where they can find you in-game if you would, if you would like. Oh, I'm I'm sad that it's the end of the show, and I, I I liked the book that you picked. It was it was rather difficult, but it was an enjoyable book. I like a, a certain level of difficulty in all aspects of my life, so that works for me. And it was it was a good show. I'm glad that I got to express my views about Craglorn and whether I think it's going to be a hit or a miss. And I think it's going to be a hit. I really do. And I didn't get a chance to say it earlier, but I agree with you on there not being a centralized auction house. I think making the game communicate with people and maybe inputting the trade chat channel would be a great addition and it really lets the people control what is going on in game. It's a great show. It, it really was. I'm, I'm happy that I, I got to be here. 
Yeah, you know, me too. I I really like the show. It kind of harkened back to a nostalgic when it was just you and I originally. Um, it was a fun show getting to talk with you. Like we do this all the time anyway. And uh, like I say, if if I didn't enjoy talking with my wife, I wouldn't do it in the beginning. So I do like these these things where it's us. So it was a lot of fun. Um, I definitely am excited for Craglorn. Um, and to be honest. I'm sorry I didn't read the book before I picked it. I I, I decided that we were going to do this in honor of ESO by read because I thought it'd be an awesome idea, four part series. But little did I know that this bunch when I when I found it and I uh, copied it into our notes, I looked down like, oh dear heaven, oh my. <laughs> um, but yeah, so but yeah, really excited. Um, I'm having a blast in the game. I'm like totally addicted to this game. Uh, I'm loving the community. Um, I love like everyone in the community, the people who are in our guild currently, people who aren't in our guild who just whisper me to say hi. I mean, I pretty much frequently get messages on Twitter and in-game from Cash of Mog Nation. I love the interaction that Cash gives me. Um, just a great guy in the community, um, in our community as well as the gaming communities in general. And it, it's just, it's awesome. Like even, even though we're not really affiliated in any one way, we're just, we're just, we're, friends if you will from playing ESO and getting to talk to them and uh just sharing our thoughts of what we feel like with this game it's it's a fantastic game and I really really am enjoying it completely I want to get more people into the game so I'm probably going to be um pimping out the uh pimping out the uh Bethesda store at some point get some extra money in here and walk around my Evan Hart pack t-shirt Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get one of those. I need the Dark Brotherhood hoodie because I am all about the Dark Brotherhood. I adore the Dark Brotherhood. I love everything about them. I love what they stand for. Oh, and I forgot to mention earlier, you can reach me in game at, at Tear Eater. That is these at Tear Eater. That's where I am. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, oh, one more thing just before we finish. We actually got the limited edition Heroes Guides. I wanted to talk about this earlier, but I forgot about it from the Bethesda store. They are gorgeous. I'm actually going to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, probably put together an article for the site here one day where I take the thing apart and take pictures and, and post it up on the site so people can see. I agree. I really think uh, I heard uh, one fan say how they were limiting it to 10,000 and the quality of it, it was, you know, it's only a hundred, hundred dollars or something like that. And that it was really probably just a gift. Cause if anyone knows anything about, um, manufacturing, manufacturing smaller amounts of things costs more than doing it in bulk. Um, so only doing 10,000, but the quality of these things is amazing. All leather bound, not fake leather either. Like it looks, it feels real. I believe it smells real. Uh, one of them was a, had a suede leather covering on it. Uh, the one book itself had a twine cover, like a actual twine that you would see like wrapped around um, old hay bales. Not the new, not the new modern plastic stuff. The old twine. It makes it look really authentic, and it looks really nice. So we're gonna put that up on the site so people can see it. And just it, it was definitely a fan service, I believe. Because I don't think they made any money off of it, or very little. But yeah, so we'll be doing that. Um, of course, you can find me in-game at Agelos. Really hard there. A-G-G-E-L-O-S. 
L-O-S. Um, I want to thank my co-host, lovely co-host, beautiful co-host for joining me this evening. Um, thank you for everyone who listening to the podcast. If you wish to support the podcast, feel free to uh, donate via the PayPal link on our website. It does help us uh, maintain the server and, and that kind of thing and, and you know pay for the vent servers and stuff like that. Uh, if you wish to contact us with questions, comments, or criticisms, our website for the show is talesoftamriel.com or you can email the show at podcast at talesoftamriel.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Tales of Tamriel. I'm often the one posting on it or at auto post when we do stuff on the website. Um, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tales of Tamriel podcast. Also, feel free to rate and subscribe to us via iTunes. That does help us out a lot. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Tales of Tamriel. And as the Argonians say, stay moist. <laughs>